soul an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to November 26, 1988 in the Legacy Series. It is the final Saturday night's main event of 1988. And in addition, we are bringing you five bonus segments. I'm not going to belabor the point. A quick announcement, though. Uh, we will not be airing a show next week. So we will be back, good Lord willing, in two weeks with 1989. And I do believe there are four episodes at least before we even get to WrestleMania 5, so Randy Savage, you do have a reprieve in early 89, but today we end the fourth year of WWF coverage in this Legacy Series. It is just rolling along, ladies and gentlemen. Grab your shovels. The unearthing continues. I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan. The brain. Greetings, Miz fan fans. Welcome indeed to the end of 1988. The first year I was alive is now concluding. Randy Savage is still the champion, but I don't know if you would know it from the things that we are watching. We do have Saturday night's main event, November 26. We got uh, four matches on that card and some big happenings, and we do indeed have bonus matches galore and a segment that we have already been talking about and finally are covering for real there is a lot to cover on this episode i am very excited i'm ready to get into it my friend absolutely i don't know if it's survivor series if it's just how stacked the card is in this era but there are so many good programs so many good stars it really has become a thing where you're covering maybe Hercules and Ted DiBiase instead of Honky Tonk Man. And so there's just like four, five, six, seven segments that I'm excited about between the bonus segments and Saturday Night's main event. So it is a good time, as we I think we emphasized last week, to be the WWF in late 1988. Indeed, I think part of it is that uh, both you and I, I found that we really enjoy this era. We want to make it last as much as we can. So now we're digging down deep, covering the stuff that uh, you might not even see if you're just looking at the bigger shows, because there's so much great stuff going on underneath the surface here. Absolutely. So I will sit back. Ms. Van will take us through whatever order he chooses as we go through, I think, four matches, five bonus segments. So we're just bringing you a lot um, as we cap off 1988. Absolutely so. Let's talk first about a segment that uh, was brought up a, a while ago in the uh, LP Forums thread. Um, we've been kind of waiting to cover this, been excited to cover this. It's about a guy that we have had a lot of praise for. This is a segment where Hercules and Ted DiBiase come into conflict, and we see a babyface turn for Hercules. Unlikely as though that may seem from all that we have covered so far. So, we'll go through the segment, and then we will talk about it. We have DiBiase and Virgil up on the platform with Okerlund, as well as their distinguished colleagues, they say Bobby Heenan and Hercules. Okerlund uh, reveals that DiBiase has been teasing some big financial move ted confirms that he has proven from the first day in the wwf 
that uh, he he's proved his motto. Everyone has a price. He's shown it again and again. Now he's made the biggest purchase of his own life. He hands a case full of money over to Bobby Heenan. They're laughing together. Uh, Hercules doesn't really seem to know what's going on, but he doesn't mind. He's very trusting. He, uh, he you know, he figures he'll be in on the joke when uh, the time is right. And he's right, but not the way he thinks. DBS, he says he's bought himself a personal slave. Okerlin objects and says, hey, it's 1988. You actually can't do that, but Ted is not concerned with that. He says he has the greatest bodyguard. He's bought the greatest managerial advice from Bobby Heenan. He's even bought a giant to have at his disposal. Now he has a slave, and it's none other than Hercules. And now Hercules is surprised. Now he's a little worried. Bobby Heenan says, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. You know, the party's over. This is something you earned, and you're just going to have to live with it, essentially. And uh, it's a heartbreaking betrayal to see that uh, Hercules realizes that he actually means nothing to Bobby Heenan in this moment. He grabs him by the throat. Ted DiBiase hits him in the head with the case full of money, yells at him. Heenan scrambles away, but not before grabbing that case. Of course, priorities are important. Ted tells Hercules, don't do anything without my permission. He's slapping him. He's kicking him. But Hercules, he's getting that baby face power so fresh off his turn because he's firing up. He punches Virgil. He threatens Ted with that giant chain. Looks like Ted didn't think this through. He flees the scene. And even Jesse Ventura has to say it's a bad purchase as the crowd chants for one of our favorite guys, Hercules. Yeah, absolutely. Powerful segment. I think I want to add to the WWF um, unearthings that with no, this is not just an error of over the top characters. There's actually a lot of authenticity here with no, it's not just good guys and bad guys. It's like narrative versus narrative. There will be times on these shows that there are just so many small details that make the big presentation work. We'll get to Saturday night's main event with Randy Savage in a promo where to me it's one of the best things in this entire series so far just because of the little things. And here, when Gene Oakland introduces Ted DiBiase, Virgil, uh, Heenan, Hercules, he says two things of this segment. And you've heard everything that's going to happen in the segment from Ms. Van, but he says of Heenan and Hercules that they are the, the distinguished colleagues of DiBiase and Virgil. And then he turns to Ted DiBiase uh, and says, and you are boasted of a new possession. So we get both this reference of humanity that these are distinguished uh, colleagues and we get this idea of a dehumanizing, a new possession that Ted DiBiase will later say what it is. And so before all of this is over, you will realize that that humanized, distinguished colleague is that possession, is that it. And yes, he is standing there smiling, laughing, kind of in his own world, walking like Lex Luger, sleepily and happily through a world, not understanding that other people have ideas. And if you don't have ideas, you end up on a platform where your manager has a briefcase and you are now the slave of Ted DiBiase. And you not only didn't see it coming, but you had a big grin on your face standing there while it happened. 
So this is just an amazing segment, amazing, smart way to turn Herc because Herc, I think, deserves to be a baby face. He obviously looks like a heel. I think it would be smart to start a man like this off as a heel. And although they won't tap into it fully, I do believe that there was deep, deep potential uh, in this Hercules babyface turn. Absolutely. I've been a fan of Hercules since I discovered him. Um, yeah, for the past uh, couple of years in this series, he's been nothing but a consummate heel. Here he is. And this segment, uh, we've talked a lot about the morality of this era, as you mentioned. And uh, this is interesting to me on two levels, because one... At times, you know, we, we've been the, um, oh, what's the, the name for us? The heel uh, something. Defenders, yeah, sympathizers. Heel, some, yeah, some, some, some name that we've been given. Um, and when we've pointed out that sometimes these heels are not actually immoral at all. They're actually just uh, reacting to their circumstances. You know, they're uh, being honest about who they are, about what their goals are. Um, I guess you can't fault these guys for not being honest in this segment, but I don't think even we could justify there's any morality on the side of Ted DiBiase uh, trying to just do something very outlandish, so something uh, immoral on his part. But at the same time, it shows you that uh, for all that Hercules has done, for all the years he's been booed and vilified, it really takes nothing more than uh, putting a fist into the right person's face to become the hero of the crowd, because they, they, they turn for him right away. They're chanting for him by the end of this segment, so... Um, I guess it shows, uh, on the one hand, heels really can be immoral, but on the other hand, you don't really have to do a good thing to be a baby face. You just have to do bad things to the right person. Yeah, I agree with all of that. This is an era, too, where I think the heels are becoming a little more outlandish. They're becoming a little more matter-of-fact in some of the things that they do. It's a very doing uh, age. And you also can single out Ted DiBiase, because it's a weird thing that DiBiase is his own worst enemy in a lot of ways. And he just, <laughs> he's free falling. You know, he came in a year ago around Thanksgiving, you know, shaming everybody on top of the world, straight to the world title, doesn't even have to wrestle. And he is just going to fall and fall and fall. He's going to have to create the million dollar title in order to stabilize himself. And he's going to fall to me in a lot of ways because he's not Bobby Heenan. He's not, uh, trying to nuance and massage things he's coming in he is he's actually a character according to you know folks in wwf that if he's like anybody he's like vince mcmahon and one thing vince mcmahon likes to do it's all about power mr man will shame almost anyone that works for him at some point just to try to demonstrate you know here's where the pecking order is here's where the power is and dibiase has to do that all the time like i don't understand what you even want number one like, why can't you purchase him as a wrestler instead of a slave? And then you get rid of the anxiety, you get rid of the just the appalling nature of it, and he can work with you. But obviously, that's not what he wants. Why can't you do something in the back? Why do you do it on a stage? That would make it better for you, but that's not what he wants. And then the great thing about great errors is not only do you have great feuds, but naturally and authentic with authenticity, you can see what is coming next and we're going to see Virgil you know starting to see there is no line here there is no decency with this man but Ted DiBiase is going to do these things on purpose even when they hurt him because he has to exert 
is dominance and power and good thing for you. Clap, clap, clap. You have dominance and power, but you're going to keep paying a price for it. So how smart are you in the long run? <laughs> when you put it that way, I mean, the more I think about it, um, there's something kind of poetic to it. We've talked about um, goals in wrestling and wrestlers whose goal is not just uh, I want to live my boyhood dream and be the world champion, which, you know, is uh, rather overdone, especially nowadays. You got Ted DiBiase, and yeah, he came in, he wanted to be champion and all that stuff, but he didn't really want to be champion, like, for the wrestling. Like, he wasn't going to win the title in the ring. God knows if he was even planning to defend it. All of his goals, kind of, at least in the yes. early years, it's not about the wrestling at all. It's about, like, this public display of power. It's about proving his motto. It's about showing, hey, I'm just going to walk into your world, and I'm going to use my money to do things that you say that I can't do. And that's more important to him than making these logical decisions that you were talking about. Like, yeah, there was definitely a way to bring Hercules onto Team DiBiase uh, very smoothly. It would have been no problem. But that, like you said, it's not even what he wanted. You know, he just wanted to show that power. This is what makes him happy. This is what, you know, I'm not going to go further, but uh, this yeah. is definitely his goal. It's all flagrant. You know, we said we we've kind of pondered before we really caught this narrative at why is it that one of the kind of great wrestlers of this era doesn't even try to win the belt first? Like, you know, there's not even an attempt. It, but it's flagrant. He wants to come in and he wants to buy a championship, not even as much to be champion, but because you're not supposed to be able to buy it. And then if I can do this, then I can do that. If I can do this, then I can do that. It's flagrant. It's obnoxious. And even Bobby Heenan, who sells Hercules out and he wants that briefcase that gets used as a weapon. So Teddy DiBiase, who's about the visual, I think about the surface, he wants you to see that power. You got Bobby Heenan crawling on his hands and knees, which is a great character thing, but at the same time, you still got him crawling for for money that Teddy DiBiase just throws away. And so he's got Heenan on his knees. He's got Hercules, who was a rustler for Heenan as a slave. It is all power. It's all flagrant. And again, it's, I get to stand tall and I get to flex in a moment, but I, I think if he hired someone to look at the trajectories of these things, if he has the ability to do anything but think about these power plays, he might think they're not working out as well as he imagines. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, you compared, uh, you mentioned that Vince McMahon will often uh, try to embarrass people who work for him eventually, um, and Ted DiBiase is supposed to be an a stand-in for Vince McMahon in this era to some extent. So I wonder if there's some psychological overflow going on. It just, I think, is how some people either are made or how they become, however you want to look at that. Uh, Vince McMahon is like this. And even, like, a lot of the wrestlers, they'll job them out obnoxiously early just to kind of see, you know, if they're obedient and they play nice. And then, you know, you think about, like Bret Hart, and I don't know how true a Bret Hart stories ever are, but you know, mm. like towards the end of Ric Flair, he has a match with Randy Savage, and they get to the back, and Vincent Man just blows up, lets them know they don't know how to do anything, they don't know how to obey anything, they don't know how to work the way he said, and sends them right back to the ring to wrestle again, and then apparently, when they're done, uh, Vincent Man is just as dissatisfied and just blows up, and if that is true, it's again this thing. This guy was your world champion. 
you know, I think two times over, unprecedented heel Royal Rumble, all these things. But then when you're kind of done with them, you know, it doesn't go from, well, you're not going to be our champion anymore, but thank you so much for this. It goes to, like, you can't work a match. You don't know how to obey anything I say. It's always, like, when are the reactions ever measured, I think is what I'm trying to say. And that's the thing I see with Ted DiBiase. You know, he would rather free flow, free fall from the world title to the mid card to possibly nothing and have nobody around him if he's not careful, but to keep on having these unmeasured reactions, which is almost like this is the the evidence of my power. Look how unreasonable I am. You know, <laughs> well, good. <laughs> hey, but yeah, some some people. He's already got money. You know, I, yeah. he doesn't think he really cares about respect. He just wants power. He wants uh, people to fear him and acknowledge him, and that's uh, you know, it's kind of an extension of. What we talked about with Bobby Heenan and other heels, like they all want something, but mostly they want to be respected. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be whatever they say that they are and not have anybody question it. Yeah, and then you can say whatever you want about Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, you know, or anything else, and we'll get some of them in commentary. I think even in babyface terms, in kayfabe terms, like you would say, oh, Heenan and Bob, Heenan and Gorilla care about each other. Like, oh, they antagonize each other, but they care about each other. Yeah. So that's like the worst heel in the business for one of the eras. But yeah, he cares about people. Who does Ted DiBiase care about? Mm-hmm. He has no connections. He doesn't care about Virgil. He doesn't care about Hercules. He doesn't care about the WWF title. I don't remember when and how he brings the million-dollar title. But now thinking about the way he just wants to buy the belt and it being more about just like the, the move Versus what he obtains. The million dollar title is another way of saying. You know none of this stuff actually matters anyway. Because I, it's not connected to me. I can just create something. And then it matters more than the entire history. You know of a company. So he, Teddy Biasi is never playing in the framework. Whereas I think the Jesse Venturas and the Bobby Heenans. They want to be playing within the framework. As much as a Hulk Hogan. Because ultimately they want to be the Hulk Hogan. They want the narrative to spin, and all of a sudden, you know, like, oh, that Bobby, like, Bobby Heenan's been right the whole time, and Bobby Heenan is the brain, and Bobby Heenan's the greatest. You know, they want to be within the system because they want to win at the game. Mm-hmm. And like Ted DiBiase, I don't see any way that he even wants to be a part of this. Yeah, it's true. You know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the million-dollar title. It's remembered sort of as like a throwaway prop almost, but I remember it being – pretty pretty brilliant actually because ted yeah he brings this title he he doesn't win the world title you know that's done and dusted he's not going to so he brings in his own title he's like it's more expensive it looks better um you know it's more important basically and it really uh uh, puts him in a high position that he's able to maintain for quite a while so just just by force of will and who knows in this guy's mind like he's gonna bring this in and it's going to replace the world title because it's more expensive or something. It's like, yeah. you know, who knows what he's thinking? We'll see when we get there. But, uh, you know, it definitely matches well with the character. Yeah. It's a, it's a one way to live. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. Uh, it's his way. Uh, so this is a great segment. I posted the link to it uh, in the forums and on Twitter. So you can definitely check it out for yourself. Uh, beyond DiBiase, I really got to uh, say again, the thing I probably like the most in this segment is that Hercules is so fine to be there. He is so trusting that this is going to be something that he is in on, that he, you know, is benefited by. And just 
like the ground is kicked out from under him when he finds out that Bobby Heenan, who's always uh, taking care of him and giving him good advice and all this stuff, is selling him out. And the comments by Heenan, wh- what does he say? He says, like, this is something you earned. Don't worry about it. It's so callous. It's so cold. And uh, it, it probably is not the best look for a guy who's trying to build a family to send a guy off this way. Yeah, it, it is a bad look. For Bobby Heaton, it's a good look for a Hercules you want to turn face because there is that deer in the headlights moment where he says, what is he talking about, Bobby? And there's something about even calling him Bobby, which is that's a name, a first name, like humanity. And he is still trusting. Oh, well, Bobby Heenan, make this make sense. And Bobby Heenan just says, trust me, don't worry about it. Mm hmm. You know, it hurts because you can see it's like Hercules wants it to be okay, Just like let him in just a little bit, like explain why it's good. And he might have even gone along with it. But no, they they shut him down so coldly. They just throw him to the wolves. Basically, they're going to call him a slave. They're going to take all his pride. They're going to embarrass him. And, you know, he, he can't stand for it. So he does the thing which will turn your baby face instantly. And that's put your hands on Bobby Heenan. Absolutely. He does those two things, puts his hands on Bobby Heenan and swings a weapon, which makes him baby face. <laughs> True, yes. Swinging a weapon recklessly um, definitely makes you a baby face in the South. I think the thing I like about the swinging of the chain as far as, like, he's just lost everybody. That like, that chain creates just, like, a circular space where no one else can enter. So mm-hmm. now that you are by yourself, it's like he has to actually create a physical space where other people cannot enter in order uh, not to have these folks come back for him. Mm. Yeah, it's a very effective visual. Uh, I really uh, enjoy the chain swinging. It always looks good, and that's a good point as well. It's a great segment, and so a lot of what we're talking about we will pick up again in Saturday night's main event. So mm. uh, these are just these are really good stories that are getting some legs, getting motion, getting action, um, and I'm just excited to get into it more. Absolutely so. All right, let's continue. Let's talk about some of these bonus matches. We got not one match, but two matches from the November 8th episode of Primetime Wrestling, which indeed is on the WWE Network, if you uh, are so subscribed. Um, Two matches emanating out of a show they did uh, in Paris, France. I think they did one of these in 87 as well. Uh, Get to feature kind of some longer, more meaningful matches on the card here that uh, you usually have to go to a house show to see, so I think that's kind of cool. Our first match is going to talk about a wrestler that we're probably not going to be able to talk about as a wrestler for very much longer, but uh, I'm glad to give her the spotlight one more time because I love her as a wrestler and not just as a manager that she will become. I'm talking, of course, about Sensational Sherry, who's here defending her WWF Women's Championship, which does still exist, against Rockin' Robin. So, yeah, um, I was glad we picked up this match. Like I said, I'm a big fan of Sherry. Uh, It's a shame, like, this is pretty much the end, I think, of women's uh, wrestling in the WWF for, like, seven years or so. And it's a shame, because there's some good stuff going on here. Absolutely. I highly, highly recommend this show. Uh, It's 11-8-88, as Miz fans said, primetime wrestling. But this is a phenomenal matchup and it's Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan on commentary so it's just mm-hmm. different throughout as Paris France. I found the psychology and the wrestling to be top notch. 
Uh, I really dug uh, Rockin' Robin as well. I thought she was a great counterpart mm-hmm. uh, for for heel champion Sherry. Absolutely so. Just like I think Velvet McIntyre is the last one we saw. There are these women who uh, they have no legacy. They're not remembered, and yet they are really good performers. Uh, Rockin' Robin, yeah, always very good. Half-sister of Jake Roberts, I think. Uh, so that's an huh. interesting tidbit for you. And, uh, yeah, no, she does very well in this match, and uh, I agree. The psychology of it is great. Sherry, man, if Sherry was a man in this era, or if they had invested in women's wrestling in this era, I really think she'd be remembered as one of the best wrestlers of this time because she is in there just bumping like crazy. She's feeding Robin all these spots, uh, all these great heel spots, where she looks like the fool, she gets one up to all this stuff that the crowd is popping for. There's so much good stuff in here. Um, I really just, I really appreciate Sherry the wrestler. I agree, a hundred percent with all of that. I think if you took the so far the narrative that is given to Jake the Snake Roberts, and you were actually talking about Sherry, it would make more sense uh, than it does <laughs> because Sherry's not just a great wrestler; it's a great, she's a great psychological and storytelling wrestler like the fundamentals are obviously there but even the beginning of this is sherry is defending her belt because she hasn't defended it in 29 days which means she's going to be stripped shortly thereafter if she doesn't defend it which means she only defends it when she has to which means rock and robin comes running to the ring sherry comes slow walking i half i don't even want to be here to the ring uh (laughs) What gets Sherry jogging is when uh, Rockin' Robin turns her back and then she gets the jump on her. But you get this idea that Sherry being champion, being so dominant, is just above it all. And, you know, maybe a little rusty at the beginning. Uh, She's going to get dominated early, but really kind of not taking it that seriously because she can beat this uh, person at any time. And there's just so much story and psychology in Sherry. Sherry phenomenal, rockin' Robin exactly what a babyface challenger should be against a Sherry. Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, analysis coming out of the booth on this one where they talk about, yeah, like Sherry hasn't defended in so many days. That means maybe she's not ready. Um, She definitely gets uh, jumped at the start. She can't even get her ring gear off. She's getting beat up by rockin' Robin. Uh, She's uh, doing these great sequences where, like, there's one I like in particular. She's got um, Robin in a full Nelson, and Robin does some uh, clever escape and puts Sherry in the full Nelson. Sherry tries to do the same escape and, like, rolls away and then comes up and is right back in the full Nelson. It's just it's stuff like that. Like, that feeding of those great segments is just perfectly done here. Yeah, and she has a smart-ass look on her face <laughs> and a strut like when it is least earned, which yeah. is the ultimate, I think the ultimate heel thing in this era is to have confidence in yourself and pride just, just, just like in stop. But then like, if you're getting beat up and you still carry yourself well, then you are just like the worst person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Um, and yet when Jim Duggan has all this unearned confidence, we all love him for it. So go figure. Um, Oh, man. Yeah, really good stuff in here. Plus, uh, there is great commentary on this match. There's a lot of shtick that Heenan and Monsoon are able to throw in there. They're making bets on the match that they're gonna, the other one's going to pay for dinner. 
And uh, whenever Bobby Heenan's worried, he's talking about McNuggets. And uh, <laughs> yes. And then um, Monsoon reveals in this match, he says he has people watching Bobby Heenan all the time. So we get a little window into their uh, relationships. There's some very good stuff there as well. I mean, apparently WWF couldn't even go back to France unless Gorilla Monsoon agreed to have Bobby Heenan watched, <laughs> you know, so that he would behave properly. So, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Then there's uh, there's another great line. Gorilla Monsoon says, the word quit isn't even in her vocabulary. And he says, why? She's ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah, Monsoon and Heenan, always great together. I think they do this whole show. There's a um, Andre uh, match with somebody, Junkyard Dog or somebody, I think. And uh, they do this great bit where... They, they're acting like they're doing live commentary in France. You know, that's kind of the whole shtick, but obviously they're not. So Heenan keeps saying he's going to go down to ringside to, like, help Andre, and then something will always come up, and he'll be stopped in, like, some, some coincidental reason. Uh, he can't awesome. do it, or Monsoon will force him to stay. And they do this shtick, like, through the whole match, and it's, it's very funny. So there's, there's some great stuff on this whole episode. If you have time to watch a whole primetime, this is not a bad one to pick. This is, again, the, what I like, the, the imagination and vibrancy in this era within each individual character is so appealing. They'll do that in this match, I think. And every time Heenan uh, defends a heel, the girl on soon is like, well, why don't you go down there and tell them? Or why don't you go down there and help them? And he's like, you got your people stationed. I can't go down there. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there's a lot of great stuff in here. Um so, yeah, hope you will check out this match. It is a lot of fun. Uh, it also features the surprise ending of Rockin' Robin actually yeah. winning the WWF Women's Championship. Pretty close to when it would be deactivated, sadly. But uh, we do get a babyface champion before all is said and done. A bulldog off the second rope, too. And, mm-hmm. man, when I was a kid, this was not the era, folks. I didn't grow up in the era of... of uh, we just had that big Young Buck segment that got AEW back over a million. I didn't grow up in that era. When someone did a bulldog, especially off the ropes, Dustin Rose, Barry Windham, like that was one of the most exciting moves I saw as a kid. And and so she pops that bulldog off the second rope, and she gets gets the victory, the upset victory, and becomes the women's champion. That's exciting. Uh, that is very exciting. Yeah, they do a lot of stuff in this uh, match that you might not see a lot of in this time or you might not see done uh, quite so well. So yeah, I really do recommend this match. It is an excellent one. I think and I'm glad we could cover it. Yeah. Excellent. There's parallel spots where early in the match, uh, rock and Robin grabs Sherry by the hair and she kind of pulls her horizontally. So Sherry's legs maybe are holding her up on the top rope, but she's horizontal and then just drops her. And then later in the match, Sherry tries to break a hole by climbing her feet up the, up the up the turnbuckles. Well, guess what? You just put yourself in that same position again where you're horizontal being held by Rock and Robin, and you get dropped again. So there's a lot of fun, smart action in this matchup. Yeah. Um, Sherry is almost flair-like here in that I, mm. I honestly feel like she, with this stuff, could make almost anybody look good. Um, and I'm I agree just, with that. It's a shame again, yeah, that uh, we couldn't see more of this. As great as she is as a manager, and she is one of the best – I'll always wonder what a Sherry, uh, the wrestler, having a full career look like. Yeah, you got to. Flair's a good example. I think she's got some Bobby Heenan in her as far as the way she carries herself. You know, it's like they're wrapped in something. You know, there's just like one layer 
that the fans can never penetrate, and the fans just hate them even more for it. They keep their smugness. They keep their holistic, like, I still have it together. Like, they, they're shamed. They, they fall. They lose. But they keep one layer between themselves and defeat at all times. Yep. How dare they keep getting back up again when they yes. should just acknowledge that they're failures and that we hate <laughs> them. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, failures. Like, manager, one of the greatest managers, if not the greatest manager of all time, and, and the greatest women's champion in this era easily. But they're failures. And it is... <laughs> Because one of the great one of the great things about you know being human is if you can ever figure out like oh I'm going to fail all the time and the thing is I just have to keep getting up and so when you take that away from being human and you make it oh well that's a baby face thing you're really dehumanizing half the roster and so there's nothing more impressive than to see someone who's not supposed to be able to get back up just keep getting back up and I think we see that in Sherry we see that in Bobby Heenan. And we see that in some of the others who we uh, blur the line by saying, hey, they, they have another narrative, but they perform the same way as anybody else. Indeed. Uh, so very good stuff here. Anything else on this match before we move on? No, just between the commentary and the matchup, that, I think above anything this week, I might say go back and watch that. Yeah, it's, it's probably my favorite in terms of an actual match, like beyond the yes. segments and such. This is, I think, the best match that we're going to cover. So that should tell you a lot right there. Yes. All right. We have the main event also of this show. It is Randy Savage taking on a guy who seems to be like his perennial uh, opponent, although mm-hmm. they never seem to actually have a feud. Uh, he's here taking on Akeem, the former one-man gang. So it's a WrestleMania rematch of sorts. Um, what I like about this is, uh, at least it's all about Savage. Like there's really no, uh, Hogan involved in this Savage comes out and, uh, you, you feel a little bit more hype for Savage himself as champion because Monsoon is like, just wait till this guy comes out and you're going to hear it. And there's a big reaction when he comes out, he's with Elizabeth. It's funny cause no managers came on this trip except, uh, Elizabeth got to come. I think that tells you uh, just what a big part of his act she was. But, yeah, no, he is, he's ready for this match. He's going to take it to Akeem here. Yeah, it took me a while to realize this is a WrestleMania 4 rematch, you know. <laughs> Akeem it was especially memorable, yeah. Despite the fact that uh, so in, uh, people are bringing down, like, these cards that have the names of the wrestlers, and they got one-man gang on the Akeem when Akeem comes out, so... Uh, that should have reminded me. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, this um, is this is okay, I guess. Uh, yeah. Still, at the end of the day, as far as match wise, it's still one man gang who just to me, I don't know. He can't do much, and mm-hmm. it's good to see Savage. Like you do see that when it's a smaller card. Like Hulk Hogan's on the show as well, but Hulk Hogan's in the mid card. Randy Savage is in the main event, so it is at least got the traditional order to it. Uh, I think. I think they, Savage wrestles Akeem similarly to how he wrestles uh, Andre in that he kind of he kind of runs at him and like you know gets the jump on him, but it always it doesn't do that much. And then you know he has to keep kind of kind of coming back and trying to find a way to punch and and double X handle his way to some kind of uh, uh, success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely the energy and the speed of Andre uh, of not of Andre of Savage on display here. Um, although I don't know if he has that same energy that was uh, surrounding people that we used to talk about. Uh, even so, 
I think it's it's pretty good. It's uh, definitely better than their WrestleMania match. Yeah. There's not much to speak of. Probably not as good as the rematch they had on Saturday night's main event that we actually um, liked decently. Um, but uh, we do get a full full look at Akeem here, who is definitely into his uh, gesticulating. He's into his kind of Dusty Rhodes esque yeah. movements. He's fully into the character here, and I'll say at least uh, it's more interesting than One Man Gang was. I agree. Not only is One Man Gang to me a bad gimmick, but they gave it to the worst person ever. And you know, just take <laughs> someone who can't even get off the ground. But their finisher is a splash, and they, their feet don't leave the ground when they do it. Uh, and they got no kind of life to them, so put them in like a gimmick that also has no life to it. And just, mm-hmm. it was not the move. So yeah, I, I would say... Even if it's just one notch up for me, Akeem is still a notch above uh, One Man Gang. Agreed to all that. Not a big One Man Gang fan, but a little more interesting as Akeem. I'll say this. I wonder if it was a mistake uh, to put Savage up against so many giant guys when he really built his name working guys like Steamboat and exciting the crowd in different kinds of matches. Because it's definitely the Hogan formula of just, oh, like, put him up against the biggest guy in the room and, um, you know, he'll he'll overcome the odds uh, one way or the other. And, you know, obviously that works. Like, it works so well with Hogan. But I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a few more of challengers who uh, could actually move around the ring with uh, a speed faster than a walk. I think it's a huge mistake, and I think that's so smart to point it out because – Savage will always try to slam these guys too, and he can't even lift them up off the ground, uh, you know, in their in their choice presentation. And I'm not mad at that because like I don't want everybody just to be able to do everything. Mm-hmm. But but what is it saying again as the next babyface after Hogan, when Hogan always conquers the big guy and slams the big guy and ultimately at the end dominates the big guy, and you got Savage who can't pick him up and can finally knock him down a little bit and never pins them, you know, is again making him look like a less than champion. Whereas if you gave him opponents, they could still be a threat in a different way, but he could then do the things that Hulk Hogan couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Then you got a whole different kind of champion instead of, again, a man who seems at times like he's just holding the belt till Hulk Hogan's ready to pick it up again. Yeah, absolutely so. And not helping that impression. I, I had forgotten the end of this match. Yes. But, uh, it's disappointing because Akeem gets disqualified just for kind of shoving the ref around, um, which is the same stupid thing he did at WrestleMania. So Akeem, I think, really does not want to be world champion because he always <laughs> costs himself like pretty blatantly in these matches. He just didn't want the responsibility, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, Savage, he knocks Akeem out of the ring after the match. He celebrates. But honestly, for God's sakes, it's just Akeem. Just let Savage pin the guy, for God's sakes. You know, like, there's such a thing as too much protection here. It's really not needed to do a non-finish like this. Yeah, and in conjunction with what is to come, it really has you wondering about some things that we'll get into. So, this is, the highlight of this is after the match. Savage picks up Liz on his shoulders, and the confetti comes from the ceiling, and Bobby Heenan says, look at the dandruff on her. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, more very good commentary from this match, from this whole show. I think think you nailed it, though. Give him a different kind of opponent. Like, again, it's like dance with, like, who who brought you, and Mm -hmm. if he's having Ricky Steamboat-level matches with the world title, then even if you prefer Hulk Hogan... You're probably going to say, oh, man, so good Hulk Hogan's being champion, but we lost something. 
you know, I'm not sure we're going to say that, you know, when this is over. So have the distinction. Like, why would you not imagine you know, having a Bret Hart world title reign where all he does is try to slam like big guys? You know, what, <laughs> right. it doesn't work. No. Hey, what would be the point of that? Indeed. Yeah. And it definitely feels like there are guys like we've seen Hogan wrestling Haku a few times. Let's Savage wrestle Haku. You know, that'd probably be a better fit for everybody yes. involved, honestly. You know, before Hercules turned, let him get in there. Um, yes. We saw, uh, Bad News Brown mentioned, I think he will get a match with Savage. I, I'm determined to find one if I possibly can so we can review it. But uh, there are definitely guys out there who are not just kind of like lumbering giants who could wrestle Savage in a way that would be more exciting. Uh, probably the best thing they did was have him feud with Ted DiBiase, but that seemed to be over before it even started, so... You know, it's it's just been a lot of Akeem and Andre. And as much as I love Andre, and I think they do have underrated matches, still, I think uh, definitely something missed, not giving Savage a different kind of challenger. Absolutely. Hogan's lowest moments to me have been, like, he could wrestle a Harley Race or a Haku, and there might be some better stuff early in the match, but ultimately it's still going to be Hogan's going to come back and slam them, and it's the reverse of what we're saying. It's like, okay, you slammed Haku, good for you, you know, so Savage has his style, Hogan has his style, and when they deviate, you see the you see the lesser version of them because they're still kind of, you know, so it it just I wish Savage had had better opportunities uh than he had. I don't I don't fully understand why he didn't. Mm. You know, like you said DiBiase was right there. That was the obvious easy one. Hercules is a heel, my god versus Savage. Mm. You know, that works. So opportunity was there but not the direction that they wanted to go absolutely and think of savage and steve and uh valentine wrestled at wrestlemania and i know they're determined not to treat valentine like he's anything but man like i would have loved to see a full-on match like that like there's there's a lot of opportunity that's all i'll say about that even having maybe some of these 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 guys who didn't get shots as easily at hulk hogan sure you know like coming to savage almost like you know like, maybe Valentine couldn't approach a Hulk Hogan, but, you know, now he gets a jump on a Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. It's a different thing. So you just open up a world that has just been shut down. And, again, it's not about can he surpass Hogan, can he not surpass Hulk Hogan. Can he be an alternative that can give you something Hulk Hogan never could? And, yes, he actually can, but, no, he actually won't. Mm, yeah, for sure. In this whole era um, – I felt a little bad because I know you spent a lot of time looking forward to this Randy Savage title reign, but watching it again has kind of reconfirmed what I felt the last time I watched through it. We're almost just seeing like the dimming of Randy Savage uh, through this whole championship reign, through this whole year, the friggin' like shining inferno this guy was in 86 and 87. It's just not quite there in the same way. And he's still great. He's still having a lot of uh, good matches, good promos, good stuff I want to see. And all there's good stuff coming as well. But uh, it's just not the same, and it's a shame. I agree. I'll say two things because you are so right. This is what I look forward to. Mm. Uh, thankfully, you know, there's been so much that this hasn't been. A, this is, you know, this has not been what I wanted, and it's also not even a disappointment for how much other stuff mm-hmm. has, has cropped up. But half of that is like this kind of disappointing WWF could have done better. Yeah. When, when we get to the, the real with Gene Urkel and promo, half of it is the storyline mm. that to me is one of the greatest stories ever told. True. And so I want to touch again later on that Savage being dimmed. Uh, 
And the good thing about Savage is as much as I was looking forward to world title, I'm just as much looking forward to Macho King. I'm just as much looking forward to retirement, reinstate the Macho Man, uh, Savage Flair. So, you know, it does not end as long as Savage is around for opportunities, at least. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot more to say about that. Uh, let's move on first with a few more bonus matches. we got a guy we were just talking about, uh, Greg Valentine. And Bret Hart, we also mentioned, actually, matching up here on an episode of Wrestling Challenge. I put the link out for this as well on the forums and on uh, Twitter, so check it out. Um, because it's Greg Valentine versus Bret Hart. Like, that, that should excite you a little bit just on paper. That's kind of an exciting matchup, I think, uh, at least to a guy like me. Uh so a lot of this match, it's not too long. It's, you know, on Challenge and Superstars, they never have matches that were too long. But you get some good stuff here. You get uh, the interactions with Jimmy Hart. He's still got this big conflict with the Hart Foundation. You got Jim Neidhart involved. You got the Rougeos involved eventually. Uh, it's very chaotic, but uh, for all the action you get, I think uh, this is very solid. I enjoyed this. Yeah, number one, I was really happy that you gave us opportunity to see some of these lower card feuds that they have just as much story and just as much continuity and development, mm-hmm. you know, because the Jimmy Hart stuff still going on. When Brett walks out, he sees Jimmy Hart with Valentine. So he goes straight to the back, gets Anvil. You got the Rujos in the crowd. Uh, it does get chaotic at the end. I said, is this the end of the WCW versus the NWO? Uh, <laughs> because it, it just gets wild. That in 88. But... Uh, that's like, yeah, very, uh, you wouldn't see that very much for sure. Everyone takes themselves seriously in this era, and I like that. Mm. You know, like, everyone is kind of like, I am important, and Bret Hart's in it. He damn sure thinks he's important. So, you know, these guys are having a segment. Like, all of us are Hulk Hogan, you know, and Andre the Giant. And so, like, Bret Hart getting revenge on Jimmy Hart is Hulk Hogan trying to get revenge on Andre the Giant and Bobby Heenan. So, you know, we're getting to see the development of angles that when you just watch pay-per-view and Saturday night's main event, you sometimes don't get to see the development of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so many like that in this era, you know, they would build up all these views that they could put on uh, the house shows. They could get people excited about, you know, up and down the card. They did a good job of giving people things to do, which again, makes me wonder why they didn't give Savage more to do. That's another question. So, <laughs> yeah, my favorite thing is just at the beginning, I said, the more I see Greg Valentine, the more I am just, like, broken that we don't get to see him in more prominent roles. Oh, I know. Someday, if we do uh, an older legacy series where he has more importance, you know, when he was Intercontinental Champion or when he was uh, with the NWA, he has that amazing, like, one of my favorite ever matches with uh, Roddy Piper where they just bleed buckets on each other. Um, yeah, I-, I would love to see more of them. I'd say, you know, it'll probably switch in two or three years but right now valentine definitely better than bret hart you know bret hart's still building that legacy brick by brick but here all the best stuff is from valentine whether it's the bumping and the feeding or when he goes on offense he's hitting those hammering blows like this is valentine's match in my opinion i agree 100 percent. bret hart is still he's gotten better and we have noted it several times Mm -hmm. but i still see him like reaching and trying to become whereas greg valentine is still standing firmly in all he ever was and all he can be mm-hmm. absolutely i think was it you who was saying that bret hart could have won most improved every yes. year from like yeah 85 to 97 yeah no it's weird his trajectory is so 
steady like it just uh, it goes up and up and up at this slow rate and it's i don't know another wrestler who's quite like that his best character work is, is his last year in the company and some of his best wrestling will be when he's no longer champion like in in, in the times that he has dropped because you know again he cares so much i think that once he became a world champion anytime they took him out of the world title then he maybe even turned it up another night. So sure. he, he's a, he's an interesting to watch, one to watch, and it almost sounds like an insult, but it is one of the greatest compliments. Is that uh, <laughs> even in the year that you you should consider him for MVP, like he also might still should be the most improved wrestler, you know, on the card. Mm, yeah, I'll say we'll talk about it a lot when we get there. But man, if he didn't leave when he did. If he had continued that trajectory, what in God's name might we have seen in 1998 with Austin as champion and mm. Bret Hart? Oh, my God. Like, just thinking about that. I never thought about that so much before, but that's uh, that's very interesting now to think of. Yeah, there are a million great what-ifs to play, and we will play them. And I've never heard that one, and I've thought about that one. My first thought is, again, like easy, like both answers is, man, it could have been amazing or Bret Hart would have flamed out in a way like mm-hmm. I you know we'll question it and we'll watch it when we get there could mm-hmm. Bret Hart because I, I honestly think what it made Bret Hart so great as a character at the end of his career is the fact that it was a shoot for Bret Hart and that like the hitman character was not a heel could not be a heel rustling had become sinful the world had become sinful it was not deserving of him and I think his best work also took a toll on him I'll just put it that way for right now well, fair enough. We will dig into that many years in the future. <laughs> It'll be quite a ways down the road. But uh, as far as this match goes, um, it's definitely some good stuff. We have Jimmy Hart. He jumps up on the apron. Doesn't doesn't even do anything. But Jim Neidhart uh, grabs him, beats him up. Greg Valentine goes out, and he beats the crap out of Jim Neidhart. Brett and Valentine end up fighting on the floor until they are counted out. And then the, Reju- the Rojus run in, and uh, they jump Brett. It gets very chaotic. Neidhart comes back with a chair. He chases the Rougeos away while Valentine uh, attacks Brett again, puts him on the figure four, and does some damage before Neidhart comes back in to save him to a very nice pop. So as you said, some almost late 90s-esque uh, chaos here at the end, but uh, I appreciate it. It's a lot of moving parts, and uh, I always like that when it's done well. Yeah, it's a lot of good energy. With uh, The Rougeos are trying to make moves. The Hearts are trying to make moves, so... When you got a lot of people not satisfied with where they are, you're going to get a little bit of chaos and energy in the presentation. Absolutely. And if there's an extra layer to it as well, they just mentioned briefly on commentary. This is sort of a, a weird but interesting caveat to this feud. As part of it is that Jimmy Hart supposedly still held the contracts for the Hart Foundation and was getting paid for all mm-hmm. of their matches. So it's like they wanted them to get beaten up. They wanted them to lose, but they didn't want them to be like put on the shelf or quit or anything. So they're walking this weird line where they're trying to embarrass them, but also antagonize them to keep wrestling. And uh, it's uh, not something you see a lot of. It's an interesting little piece of that feud. It's a nice nuance uh, because, again, managers are not just, you know, oh, this person stands beside this person. You know, these guys have a contract. The contract is not necessarily void. Maybe you need to go to court and get it void because it doesn't make a lot of sense. But is Jimmy Hart going to play it out as long as he legally can? Yes, he is. Yep, and it uh, it gives a nice um, bit of moral fury to the hearts because they, you know, not only is this guy annoying and yes. that's reason enough to, like, kill him, but also, 
you know, he's he's taking some of your money, which uh, will always resonate with the the wrestling fan, I think. I got a feeling Jim Neidhart's not getting paid is how that falls out. <laughs> <laughs> well, of the two of them, you know, so it's all right. Yeah, and that's why, you know, Bret Hart is, like, morally righteous. Like, oh, I hate that you're not getting paid. And Jim, and Jim Neidhart's like, I'm swinging a chair and I'm going to kill somebody. So. <laughs> Good stuff, good stuff. All right, so uh, the link to that is sent out as well as this next match, our last bonus match before we get to Saturday Night's Money event proper. Um, Eric, I think that same morning, um, so that's uh, people, I think people don't realize how much wrestling content there was at this time because you've got Superstars, you've got Wrestling Challenge, you've got All-American, uh, you've got Primetime, You've got all these Saturday night's main events, all these specials around here, and you got pay-per-views as well. So, man, like, there is content for days if you know where to look in these old times. Anyway, uh, this is from an episode of Superstars. It is King Haku taking on Hercules. And that, if you know us, you know that we're excited right from the start about those two names going up against each other. Uh, this is part of that same feud with Heenan. He's out there, and uh, DiBiase and Virgil as well. And uh, this, you know, this is another one that's not too long, but for the time that it gets, it's very exciting. I really enjoy this. I like this match a lot. I like the pairing. I will say, so when you're taking notes uh, on these matches, sometimes you have to kind of pause things just to get your notes down. And then, then sometimes there are, like, rest holds or punches and you're like oh cool i can take my note without pausing it because nothing's happening anyway <laughs> well what i learned in this matchup is that not all slug fests are created equal because this match starts with very traditional hercules and haku just throwing fists and that would usually be all oh, i can take notes without pausing it but watching hercules and haku throw fists is not like watching just regular joes do it and even the slug fest had my attention absolutely these are two frightening guys they got tons of energy you got hercules uh running to the ring here cementing my idea that he could have been the ultimate warrior yeah. at this point i feel like anyone with muscles and the ability to run could be the ultimate warrior but i'll, I'll say more on that later um i will say more on that later as well <laughs> uh so yeah hercules is swinging the chain easy and jump by hercules they're throwing fists DiBiase's at ringside causing chaos he's slapping at Herc every chance he get and uh one thing we haven't talked about as much but one thing that makes this Hercules DiBiase feud work is it feels so visceral so personal you get that element that is so essential in wrestling to a feud like this of genuine embarrassment it makes you feel hot. It makes you feel bothered. It makes you feel some kind of way like you got to do something. And it's hard to tell at this point who is feeling more upset and embarrassed, whether it's Hercules or it's DiBiase, because they cannot stop with each other for a minute, it seems. Yeah, man, that is that's spot on because it hurts to watch Hercules because this is, this is a kind of big guy, historical guy who kind of with his eyes wide open and a grin on his face walked into this. And then Teddy Biasi, if you watch enough DiBiase, you already know his embarrassed look is like like legit red in the face, jumping up and down, uh, makes you uncomfortable to watch. Mm -hmm. So it's two different kinds. It's like, oh, my God, I feel sorry for Hercules. And, oh, my God, I feel uncomfortable because Teddy Biasi is upset, which means, again, his lack of character, another human being is going to pay for it. 
Absolutely, yeah. And I got to say, I feel like that's part of what made DiBiase so great is that he is maybe one of the best at doing that. And ever since that Ric Flair-Terry Funk segment, which I think is still maybe the best segment that I've ever seen, I have been really attuned to the power of that feeling of embarrassment in wrestling. And if you can tap into that real feeling, you will get me every time because that Oh, it's like it's beyond most feelings. You can't just like think about the feeling clinically. It gets down into you. It like puts hooks in you and it forces you to look at things in a, a different way, in an emotional, felt sense kind of way. Yeah, shame, embarrassment is one of the great uh, tools uh, I think that you can tap into with storytelling. I know in grad school there was a theory – uh, by uh, a one theorist that, that kind of goes that you cannot have shame without having interest because shame is kind of the lowering of the head and the lowering of the eyes. And for it to happen, you first had to have yourself, your eyes set on something Like you have to care about something. Something has to matter in order to eventually become embarrassed or shamed. And that the ultimate scene of that is watch Hercules with his whole career out in front of him, eyes uh, eyes open, head up, big grin on his face on that platform, and then comes the lowering of the eyes, then comes the embarrassment, then comes the shame, and it hurts because like I I have everything like I look at how I look, look at my potential, and yet Bobby Heenan doesn't want me, and Teddy Biasi is trying to make me his slave. Mm. It's powerful. It really is, yeah. It's a, a great motivator for this feud, and it really comes over into this match because I, I can't. I don't. You have to watch it for yourself, I think, because I don't think I can stress enough. At one point, Hercules, like he gets bumped over, he falls kind of over the bottom rope, so he's like laying out on the apron, and DiBiase just like the fury in this guy, like the anger that things are not going his way. He's in there and he's just slapping at Hercules and punching at him. And it's just there's something very visceral about it that really appeals to me. Yeah, wait till Virgil doesn't uh, do perfectly. <laughs> what you know, the response, the, the DiBiase response, and again, I think I can almost understand. I can under, like Bobby Heenan getting emotional, and yeah, Bobby Heenan might slap somebody, but it takes a long time, and you can see the emotion and the interiority and the things that lead up to it. Ted DiBiase, you cannot see any interiority. It just feels like external reaction from a man who has nothing going on inside. And for me, that just makes it even scarier because I don't know what can stop him from being an awful person. Right. <laughs> Nobody knows, I think, what can stop that. That's a great point. This is this is phenomenal. I, I wish – every time we do a Legacy series, part of what comes up is – if we could do interventions, if we could go back in time, if we could mm. preserve something, if we could change something. And I'll talk more about it on Saturday Night's Main Event. I've said it before, but I love Hercules. The more I watch this stuff, the better I enjoy him. And I just think with the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest uh, alterations, Hercules could have been in a very different kind of conversation. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely possible. Here's another guy, unfortunately, with pretty much no legacy. Like, uh, you probably won't even hear his name mentioned if you talk to somebody about this era. Um, but he's he's consistently uh, very good, if not great, at his role. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that he gets lumped in with every other muscular guy of this time because he's a different breed. Like, this is no 
Dino Bravo. I mean, come on, like this is Hercules. He's doing great stuff. Yeah, watch these things. We got the bonus, the bonus stuff, man. It's always good, but there's something. There's a couple of these that are just endearing, and if you had missed them, it almost feels like there would be a big incomplete on the paper. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, after uh, just a little too much interference, Hercules jumps out of the ring, he clobbers Ted, he clobbers Virgil, he grabs a chain, and he just hits Haku in the face with it. He's tired of that four-on-one attack. Herc is running wild. He's chasing Ted and Virgil to the back. The crowd's loving it. Some very fun stuff here. Yeah. It's amazing, too, because even Hulk Hogan, in the height of his career, could not overcome the kind of combination. Like, oh, DiBiase and Bobby Heenan and Virgil and... You know, now we got mid-card Hercules trying to deal with all of them at one time. <laughs> it's a lot to ask. It is. It is. But uh, he does a very good job. Yeah. Great stuff. All right. I think it is time for Saturday night's main event, uh, November 26, 1988, right around that Thanksgiving time. <sighs> but uh, we gotta we got to start with something that I'm not as excited to talk about. We get a, a nice big close-up of the Ultimate Warrior screaming and being way too close to the camera and just uh, talking nonsense and um, showing off his horrifying body, which is just uh, abused to the point of bursting with steroids, by all accounts. So um, he's declaring war on something. I, I couldn't even follow it. He's going to spoil your Thanksgiving, and if I was trying to eat when that came on, it probably would have. So good job, Warrior. You you did your job, I guess. Our prof at www.lopforums.com astutely said that WWF is directly signaling uh, the next Hogan Savage archetype with the Ultimate Warrior, and it strikes me that there was a time – before it was obvious that Randy Savage was going to be the next world champion, but it was obvious he was on the move doing something that he would be kind of this first mm. rapid fire promo. Yep. And now sitting in that spot is the ultimate warrior. And it's so interesting because yeah, you can tell something's happening, but without looking back, you don't know that either guy is going to be world champion. It's like, there's a path to becoming the next world champion. And instead of putting them on it explicitly, they walk right next to it so that the moment that the command comes, they can just step sideways and they've always, it's as as if they've been on that path the whole time. But the ultimate warrior is kind of on that not path path right now. Yeah. And it it makes sense. I feel like uh, there's a sense that they're kind of testing these guys out to a certain extent. Like if you're the first face people see, what are people going to think about that? Because, yeah, we saw Savage in this role a lot. Now we're seeing Warrior. I think at times we might have seen Duggan once, maybe Jake once. Like these top top end baby faces, and they want to kind of test, like, what what's the upper limit for these guys? Uh, not that I think in 88 they were thinking of anyone over Hogan. But then yeah. again, uh, maybe they were just in case because you never know uh, what could happen in the WWF. Yeah, it, it, it's important to watch because – I don't know what they were thinking altogether, but we know what history is going to do. And so we kind of have this after Hogan, a four-year title reign, after Hogan-Andre, we have a cycle, the Hogan-Savage cycle. Then we have the Hogan-Warrior cycle. So it really is. Warrior's going to, Warrior's going to you know, the minute, it, it's the way this stuff works. 
is what makes WrestleMania so many years later, WrestleMania yeah. above all other pay-per-views is that we could enjoy a million things this year. We can prefer certain things, but WrestleMania five, you got to start talking Hogan Savage and the moment that's over, you got to start thinking about WrestleMania six is Hogan and the warrior. And you cannot not have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's an exciting time. That's a good point about WrestleMania. I mean, to this day, like that's a brand that has more, uh, staying power than just about uh, anything, you know, before the world went crazy, it was drawing how many, like a hundred thousand fans some years, you know, so it's above and beyond and they're building that legacy right now. They are actively. So, uh, Heenan and Andre are up next and, I love the fact that the moment now that Andre is back kind of after the world title, at least momentarily, and there's no family, there's no Bundamania, Andre's kind of letting on that, you know what, I kind of would like to be the world champion. Thank you. <laughs> so. Yeah, and uh, again, I have to question if he really wants it uh, in that way, or if he's just going along for uh, Bobby Heenan's sake here, yeah. you know, so... He, uh, he he's never shown a strong interest in that world title, but he'll he'll show interest when uh, the people around him want him to. So it's another example of Andre, the great family member, the great team player. I like that idea a lot because I didn't mention this; it was in my notes. But in the bonuses, uh, again, Girl Monson says to Bobby Heenan, "Well, what would you know about um, champions anyway? Like you never manage any." And there was no retort; it was just silence. Like Bobby Heenan said nothing. So now they're emphasizing getting back. Like, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to do a job, number one. I didn't even notice that when I wrote it down. Here to do a job. Get back the WWF title. So he's doing a job, and it's getting back, which emphasizes, yes, Bobby Heenan had been a champion. So this really might be, again, as you said, Andre the Giant doing work uh, for the family and for Bobby Heenan. I think so. They got that wonderful partnership between them and – this is what makes it so hard when uh, somebody breaks up with the family because they have this great relationship. And then one day, you know, it could just be, well, you earned this, you know, don't worry about it. Go off and uh, we don't like you anymore. So it hurts. It hurts me when that happens. Yeah. I I love that. I love that idea because that was the the thing in childhood that I'll, I'll never get back is that when they changed directions in certain companies at certain times, it hurt me. Like there was, there was trauma to be dealt with because I didn't yet understand all, you know, the nuances that like when an angle's over, a program's over, man, you, they can just go in any direction. And I would get used to like, oh, these people really like each other. That's a great tag team or that's a great feud. Not knowing that, you know, it could be over the next day and they get treated like, you know, it would never matter. And then you're just left. Like my feelings haven't changed. I was not <laughs> consulted in this and it hurts sometimes. Absolutely, you know, and uh, it can happen because, like, I just thinking ahead, like, I, I, I thought when I was talking about this of the Heenan-Andre breakup that we will eventually see, and it, it kind of did hurt me to even think about that right now because they've had this great partnership, and, you know, uh, Heenan got Andre back when he was suspended when nobody else could, and he empowered him to uh, speak up against Hogan who was hogging his spotlight and, uh, and go for all these opportunities. And Andre has been so supportive of the family of the different family members. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, you don't want this partnership to end, but it will, it will blow up in the end. Yeah, it, it, it is unfortunate. You've covered it so much. Like the, 
the amount of coverage you did on Bobby Heenan is unprecedented. Um, and I'm standing far back from it. Even the other day, I thought, oh, they're going to break up. And then I was like, no, they're not going to break up. <laughs> they shouldn't. It's not right. Oh, man. We're seeing a weakness in Bobby Heenan, though, that I don't like looking at between his behavior with uh, Hercules and then Andre. There is a Bobby Heenan will treat you better as long as it's also benefiting Bobby Heenan that I don't, as far as manager heel role, that, you know, is an actual heel quality that, you know, I don't like looking at. Yep. Even we, again, have to uh, acknowledge at times that these heels, uh, you know, they never said they were good people, and they prove yeah. it sometimes. So uh, Bobby Heenan, uh, he can be reckless with his men. He can be careless with his men. You know, when he's on, when he's with you, he's with you a thousand percent. But, you know, there's a time if the light goes out, then uh, it's like you were never anything to him, and that hurts. You know, it's the yeah. same. One of my favorite Heenan promos is still the first time he gets fired by Paul Orndorff in 1985. And in the course of one promo, he goes from this place of, like, intense emotional hurt to the end. Just a few minutes later, it's like, we were never together. It never happened. You know, we're out for you now. And uh, it's just the mental uh, tricks of Bobby Heenan, even on himself, where he has to uh, make reality be a certain thing so that uh, he can do what he feels like he needs to do. Yeah. I think there's something to be gained there. This, I think the whole world could be better if we could all see that. Yeah. You know, the ugliest thing in Bobby Heenan that we don't like looking at, we all got some component within ourselves. Like it's, it's so easy. If you look back all yourself 10 years ago, you can finally see like, Oh man, my behavior back then was really poor. You know, cause that, that is just like, Oh, that me back then. But it's so much easier to say, like, the person I can look at across the aisle is a horrible person. It's a lot harder to say, you know what, I have good reasons for X, Y, and Z, but I'm also behaving really poorly when it comes to Hercules or Andre or something like that. So as much as it hurts uh, to look at Bobby Heenan that way, you know, it just shows that he is a well-rounded human being who has good qualities and bad qualities. And maybe some of them need to be monitored a little bit more than they are. <laughs> Well, that's what Gorilla Monsoon has uh, so many people hired for. They can monitor yes. Bobby Heenan all the time. <laughs> that's a, that's partly what makes him a great team, too, I think, because I think Heenan's poor behavior comes. He gets worked up so, so, so much, mm -hmm. and then something has to be done. Yeah. And nobody can just kind of laugh at themselves and just the world at this era better than Gorilla Monsoon. So I think they, that there's something there that can redeem Bobby Heenan if he would just let it happen. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely so. Oh, man, I love it. I, again, I had the thought when I was listening to Gorilla and Bobby that the best commentary team in this era is whoever you're listening to at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, with the usual combinations we get, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And... Uh, Savage is called uh, the most horrifying athlete ever, Andre the Giant. And again, I will just say, as much as I don't like the Hulkamania, Hulkamania stuff at sometimes, like I, I start, I understand more and more. Like so many people's feuds are like, okay, this is a feud between us. Like it's a, there's a lot of heat. There's a lot of energy between us, like between me and, and Andre Hulk Hogan always takes that beyond the, the people involved and like pushes it out to the building. But Savage is focused on Andre, like that big, horrible eight foot tall guy. So, you know, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, I don't, I don't fully know what we're, what that is going to do yet. So we'll get to it later. Uh, <laughs> it 
It is a different energy. And yeah, Savage the Champion sandwiched uh, in the middle of this promo block, which you never yeah. would have seen happen to Hogan. So is that on the company? Is that on Savage? Both? I don't know. That's a great, that's a great point, because then Ted DiBiase is up next. Um, yep. He doesn't believe in Thanksgiving is all I got there. <laughs> <laughs> he says Virgil is going to collect an overdue bill on Hercules, so putting a lot of faith in his man, which uh, will not be rewarded, as we will see. And then we end with Hulk Hogan, who says again, as I said, happy thing, like happy Thanksgiving to all the Hulkamaniacs. Like I roll my eyes at that, like he doesn't care about that, but at the same time, he is the first person to lift this to beyond the wrestlers and beyond himself, you know, and and kind of widening the widening the scope. So he is always rhetorically widening the scope, even if it's just to his own advantage. You know, we've. We've talked about uh, insecurity in certain wrestlers, even when they're great wrestlers. Uh, Savage, you know, Flair, of course, famously had some of it. Never see any insecurity, I think, on the part of Hulk Hogan. And uh, we've criticized him for it. But, man, it sure makes it easy for him to just, you know, he can he can do this stuff. He can talk about these Hulkamaniacs. And it doesn't really matter if they exist or not because he'll almost <laughs> will them into yeah. existing just by talking about them, just by this incredible force of will that he has. So yeah, you know, he, he's not just here. One guy, he's part of this army, this movement, this cult that he has created, this Hulkamania, which is bigger than everybody. And is synonymous possibly with Christianity. Um, So he's tapping into this very large thing and he's going to use that to uh, kill brother love and make him explode by stuffing him. So, so yeah, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So, I feel like some. I feel like doing the legacy series is like uh, these video games, whether it's like the Ace Attorney games or the games you've recommended, sure. where you're you're you got clues and you're solving things and like oh this clue means this, but you know then you, you need to see three clues later to see. And like right now I'm thinking about in an era, how do you mark a baby face in this era? You know. Brutus Beefcake has the scissors, and Jake has the snake, and Hacksaw has the two-by-four, and Hercules turns babyface, and two seconds later, he's swinging the chain. Hulk Hogan is the world champion, has to deal with ten times of that, and he has none of those physical objects, but the rhetorical Hulkamaniacs, like, that is the great weapon that he is swinging, that even goes beyond the snake or the two-by-four. Absolutely, but Savage has Liz... And yeah. uh, she was almost as much as the Hulkamaniacs, but nothing is as much as these Hulkamaniacs that Hogan has at his beck and call. Man, and you can see it like rhetorically, he is swinging them, swinging them over his head, or yeah. throwing them up in there and catching them with one hand like Hacksaw, or bringing them out of the bag like Jake the Snake Roberts. You know, they are always, you know, one one like one reach away, and he can bring them out. The advantage he has. He can bring them out in any form that he wants. They can be judge, jury, and executioner. They can be righteous. They can be biased. Like, it doesn't matter. He brings them out for whatever they are needed and brings them out as whatever they are needed. Yep, it's just a horde that he commands, and we'll, we'll talk about it. He has a promo on this show, and his rhetoric is entirely, entirely around what the Hulkamaniacs will do or what they would do or what they uh, can do to help him. And, yeah, they're just the club that he swings at this point. It's an amazing thing because everybody needs something. And, again, I think that's why, like, the the ability of Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan to lie not to other people but to themselves, 
I think is what makes them so great. Like mm-hmm. it's so hard to stand. Ted DiBiase has to have not just money, but he has to have a bodyguard, you know, a slave. Like he has to surround himself with physical people. Hogan and I think Hogan and Bobby Heenan are most responsible for when we say that this is not heel and face, it's narrative versus narrative. Jesse Ventura's in that conversation. There's a few others, but folks who just with the will of words and imagination and belief, they can build an army that doesn't like an invisible army, like Bobby the brain. And he, he can lift the brain up to the to the point and family up to the point that he can be the top manager and Hulkamania. Like he can still dominate the card without the world title. He can go all the way to Hollywood. He can be a four year world champion. And it's all just a bunch of stuff like selling to yourself and then projecting that outward. And they are they are the best at, at working the invisible world, I think, of belief in this era. Oh, man, it's uh, it's an enormous thing for sure. To even try to wrap your head around. I had none of these thoughts, and I, I greatly appreciate you in the show because he's <laughs> gonna he's gonna come up against like a man of the cloth, so called man of the cloth, and like for a moment, it's like brother love's gonna have the advantage. But like this man has been working a cult for over half a decade, and you're just a ripoff of a TV preacher. Like, in, like when it comes to the, the spirituality and the manifesting and whatever else, like, Brother Love, you stand no chance against this man who has been weaving, like, cult magic for half a decade. Yeah, even if Hogan had not already claimed Christianity as his own domain time and time <laughs> again, uh, still, I think his his brand of spirituality would be much stronger here just by virtue of, yes, uh, the worshiping, cult of hulkamaniacs that he has yeah what a what a, what a time and, and this is <laughs> wwf i was thinking the other day like everything that irritates me like wwf calls itself entertainment it is uh there's another one can't remember what else all the language that they use it sucks later because that stuff sucks to me in my personal opinion just my own fandom but here i really say no, the NWA, that's that's wrestling, and this is sports entertainment, and they're not the same thing, and there's no insult in that. Yeah, this is, reminds me of – I didn't look it up because I, I don't know if it's – I don't know if it'll be – some children's thing. I don't know if it's Mr. Rogers or something else, but it's like a train. Like you got a regular man, but he walks around in a world that's not like you know a bunch of characters that wouldn't exist in the world. That's what this is. Like this is like a universe. Oh, the WWF universe. That's another one. That when I hear that, I think, oh, I hate everything about the idea of the WWE universe. But the WWF universe. That's a whole different conversation. And these people walk around with consistent powers and abilities, and they exist within this circumference and not necessarily in the world. And that's that space element. You've got to read this world for the world that it exists in, which is not exactly the world that we are watching it from. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, there's something about it, you know. It's colorful. It is like the 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 land of make believe and the Mister Rogers trolleys. Yeah. You go here and everything is just a little different. It's a little bit surreal. The rules are not the same, but uh, you know, it, it's exciting though. You gotta love it. I love it. I don't understand some things like some of the things that that inspire me and bring me to life. Like, how is it that Hulk Hogan wears yellow his whole career? And, like, throughout the 90s, he was one of my least favorite wrestlers. But the yellow here is, like, a different kind of yellow. Like, everything 
everything becomes so potent that everything pops. Like watching the brother love segment, and that I think the brother love segment is the one that was on that still more Saturday Night's main event. I think it must have been. I was thinking about that for sure. You know, there's a lot of times I'm the kind of person that complains. Like I like 2D RPG JRPGs better than everything that's come because there's fewer videos. I can't even see what the characters look like, so I have to use my imagination. Mm. Like almost all the I'll throw in more color, throw in more video, throw it. I'm not a fan of, and yet when I watch that Brother Love segment, there's like a there's a red carpet on the mat. There's like lights coming off. There's Brother Love's face, which is I don't even know what color it is. There's Hulk Hogan's attire, and it's like it's all just popping because it's not just the colors. The visuals feel almost like a representation of the sources that they are coming out because the sources are so alive and deep and powerful and even impossible to fully understand. I don't even, it's like, again, Lucha Underground might be the closest thing in the last, you know, where it was like consistent, believable characters, but there were powers, you know, Oh man, Pentagon has a master who abuses him in the back, and like, you know, like what the hell is going on? But like, there's a there's a deep deep oh, there's a well inside of the Pentagon character, and it's not just the external. Like somehow the external and the internal understand each other, and they spring from one another. And I could just sit down in these worlds and never leave, and I would just be happy for the rest of my life. Hmm. Yeah. No, there's something about it, you know, all, like you said, all the colors, it's almost like oversaturated, like it's not the color scheme uh, that could exist in the real world, it's something yes. different, it's something you could walk into, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's a different world, and uh, it's 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 a fun one, you know, it's just fun, there's a reason, this is probably the most successful the wrestling ever was, uh, on a level like this. Yeah, it... it... You think about the Wizard of Oz that you got the black and white, and then all of a sudden, you know, follow the yellow brick road. You got Oz, which is not a place that you can just access. Mm. And I think the difference for me is that there would be no, there's no, place, there's no place like home. Like I would be like, oh, they're fucking like witches and and color and magic. And you know what, home was kind of cool, but it was black and white. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna park myself here in Oz. Right. And so I think what I'm trying to do is park myself in Oz for as long as I can, because we will re- even WWF itself will come down to Kansas before we are done. <laughs> it will. I mean, uh, I'm curious to see where it goes, because it's going to be a lot of different things over the course yes. of our watching. So we'll have to judge each era as it comes. <sighs> anyway, the, none of that was in the notes, of course. That was of just, course. <laughs> you know. It's every word, like the five bonus. I didn't mind five bonus, like, because I know what's going to happen. And, that, you know, Miss Van is right. If you listen to WCW, the Legacy Series, we might be saying, my God, the smoking guns. Oh, shit, dog. The Godwins. Like, how did we, how did we miss this? I don't, I don't even miss, like, those 80s, but all I can talk about is where I'm at right now. And even if everything was on par with this, it's still not going to be like this. And I understand. I have kind of made peace. I, I am in my late 30s now. And, uh, I don't know what kind of world is going to exist, but I know that probably there's there's never going to be a for me a professional wrestling organization again that I'm going to enjoy the way that I have enjoyed. So WCW the Legacy Series is gone, it's done, and when the 80s WWF is done, it is done, and there's there's eventually going to be like no 
no home for me, no place for me, no place for me to locate myself. So on top of this already being a phenomenal error, I know that I have got to kind of stay in it as long as I can. <laughs> um, and I get that. You know, we all like what we like. But we'll, we'll see if we can't find some homes for you as we go along. So we won't give up hope. I won't anyway. I appreciate that. This is – it's. It's been good. Like, even now we're about to switch over Vince McMahon and Jesse. And, like, how many times have we said that? Like, oh, it's Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura in the announce booth. But this time it's California. And, by God, if you don't know it, Jesse Ventura was in a movie. And, you know, (laughs) so this is his area. And he will will demand that they throw it to him and that he be the number one in the announce booth for this week. Yep. He's especially pushy uh, on his territory in Hollywood, and hey, you know, Predator was a great movie, and uh, like The Running Man, so you know what, I'm, I'm okay with it, you know, he's got, he's got his claim staked out in Hollywood. Absolutely. Uh, Gene Erkelin's going to kick off the show, he's going to be with Mr. Fuji and the Super Ninja. <laughs> My theory uh, wins itself out week <laughs> after week on this show. Uh, Oakland compliments Fuji on being inscrutable, which is probably the kindest thing you could say about Mr. Fuji. Um, this is so weird because, yeah, this, there's this guy, Super Ninja, who never existed before or after this night. Uh, it's the only time he ever existed. Um, he's going to challenge for the Intercontinental title just because I guess anybody can do that. And uh, Mr. Fuji is just, like, talking about Pearl Harbor or something, and it's just like, what? Come on. And then, yeah, yeah Oakland rightly says, whenever we talk to Mr. Fuji, it's more questions than answers, and boy, you are right about that. You're lucky you didn't get the mustard out. Yeah, Fuji says, secrecy secrecy and mustard are the key to victory, and I thought that was a little over the top. But I, I think our analysis is right, though, when, when this will play out in just a few moments. Nobody gets punished by Fuji, like the people that Fuji pretends to represent. And like yeah. what is the point of leading? We're going to find out that Super Ninja is just an empty suit when he gets in the ring with Warrior. So, like, what is the point? Like, what is Fuji doing other than embarrassing himself and his talent? <laughs> I mean, you got to do what you're good at, I guess. That's uh, Mr. Fuji's number one, number one brand, you know. Is there anything that, you know, we've kind of talked about Hulk Hogan brings out certain kind of opponents randy savage should have brought out certain kinds but didn't get the opportunity and then warrior fittingly brings out an empty suit as an opponent and there's something that just feels right about that uh yeah it um it's certainly on brand for the ultimate warrior uh man this is uh ultimate warrior man i don't even know what to say about this guy i don't like to come on and be negative but nobody brings out negativity in me like the ultimate warrior uh maybe not even brutus beefcake I will say this, because the Ultimate Warrior says in his promo with Gene, I've looked upon battles beyond your imagination. War holds no secrets to me. War only holds victories. And the thing that I have said even before the Ultimate Warrior, this should be Hercules saying these things. Yeah. You know, Hercules has a legit, like, like reality in history. And now I, I almost wish that he was called Hercules but that he thought he was just a man. And somewhere in his baby face run, he started like his eyes started to be open and to the fact that he has existed in all of these lives throughout all of this time. Because if you took these words and gave them to Hercules, they actually have a home base in reality. And I think the one thing Hercules needs 
like Savage with the Macho Madness, like Hulk Hogan with all the stuff we talked about, and like Warrior, I guess, is you've got to have a history and a lore and a space element that goes beyond being a simple human being if you want to actually thrive in this era. And Hercules is teed up for it, but he comes off like like he works at the 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 uh, parts store, you know, or he's like just every man type thing. But Hercules, if they would just give these words to Hercules, we could just push the warrior out the door and give Hercules kind of the legacy and the momentum that he needs. Absolutely. I, God knows I would prefer Hercules in this role, uh, or virtually anyone, but yeah, Ultimate Warrior, I, I just don't feel like he's doing anything that anybody with muscles couldn't do. Yeah. You know, slap a little face paint on, he can run to the ring, he can just shout some nonsense. Um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, so if, if you love the Ultimate Warrior and you think he does something unique, please tell me. I'm on Twitter, I'm at Spectral Gent. Sell me on it if you want to try, but uh, I'm very skeptical because, I don't know, even this match, like, yeah, he just he yells some nonsense. He comes to the ring. The other guy, he can't do anything to him, of course, because, like you said, he's an empty suit. And then it's just, like, a couple minutes of weird warrior clumsiness, and then the match is over. And I'm like, I don't know, like, clearly the crowd is reacting to it, so there's something in the presentation. But I'm like, why did I even watch that? I could have just like known that that happened you could have just said the the names of the match and i would have pictured it perfectly i didn't even need to be here for this yeah i do feel like if i was a fan of the ultimate warrior i would not appreciate kind of how warrior gets treated on this show so far but <laughs> i don't know you've got to give me something because i was even going to compliment him I, I had a thought in the match that one thing i like about the shoulder block and the splash is that he's the same horizontal like space in the air. Like when he does the splash, he's kind of horizontal, or the shoulder block, he's kind of horizontal the same way when he does the splash. But then he didn't even do the fucking shoulder block, so I couldn't even put that in my notes. <laughs> uh, but like right now, I don't know what to say because before I tapped into Macho Madness as kind of a rhetoric, like we were already saying, like this man is is appearing larger than his height. He surrounds people when he's by himself. So there was like this tangible that went with the rhetoric hulk hogan there's always like we got four or five years of tangible proof to go with the rhetoric and maybe warrior when he builds his legacy something will change but right now when he says i've looked upon battles beyond your imagination they have to be beyond my imagination because they couldn't have been in a wwf because i haven't seen you do anything you've had jobber matches and you're still very green and either you're never going to get better or you're going to get better but right now you still kind of suck you know so None of this is to say, as Miz fans already said, that the Warrior's not popular. None of it is to say that if you want the visuals and the music and the face paint that you couldn't get, I guess, ra like enraptured by it, if you're, especially when you're growing up. But as far as watching it, you know, from where we are, I'm even looking for crumbs right now. And so far, I don't have the crumbs to put together even a meal here, so I can't do it. Yeah, very little here for me. Um, did not enjoy, did not feel like there was any point to this, uh, except just, I guess, to show Ultimate Warrior can beat a guy really quickly if that guy totally sucks, but we learned that at SummerSlam, so, you know, <laughs> good job, I guess. Yeah, at this yeah. point, Lex Luger has made money with Ric Flair yeah. and the Grand American Bash Tour. They've mainly been in 45-minute matches, hour matches. Sting has had the Broadway 
with Flair, you know, and Warrior is, you know, doing what what Warrior's doing. So like even making that comparison of, of his contemporaries, like to me he's in third place right now. Yeah, and that's not counting a lot of other people who could be <laughs> in the conversation. So yeah. I don't know. I get very little out of Ultimate Warrior in or out of the ring. So if you are a super fan, please uh, let me know why, and I will try to take that on. And it's not like it's impossible for me to imagine, because like you said, like the presentation, the colors, the speed, the movement, uh, maybe you like kind of like the psychedelic nonsense promos. Like, it's not impossible for me to imagine that, but man, I just watch it, and personally, I get less than nothing out of it. I get a negative experience out of all this. (laughs) Yeah, and we got a few years of this, so we do. Yeah, trying to figure out if you had to go percent wise, like how much of the Ultimate Warrior is the music, how much is the tassels, how much is the face paint, and then like with with the energy, how much is that human being who's playing the part responsible? Mm. You know, because like maybe you'll make a case, well. Like 80 or 90 percent is the energy that uh, Jim Helwig or Warrior brings, and then the 10 or 20 percent is just that WWF layer on top. But while he's still new, it right now I feel like he might be three to five percent is where I would just like fell sense put it, and the rest is just is the music and the face paint, you know. Right. He's not even having good short matches right now. Like he's just lucky Renegade didn't come first and he didn't try to come second. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if there's a significant difference there. I don't know. I feel like Ultimate Warrior Defenders would say, like, he has just charisma or, like, some it factor or something. And maybe, I don't know, like, I don't really see it, but I won't discount the possibility. Because obviously he did get very popular. So we'll just have to look and see if we can figure anything out with this guy. I know there are a couple times where I will acknowledge uh, he was part of something good. They're few and far between, but I'll try to be fair as I can when I get to them. But generally, I really just dislike the Ultimate Warrior. That, that's all it is. I feel like he has to get better just to make it through 15 or 20-minute matches because <laughs> right now, I feel like he's wrestling like three or four-minute matches, and there still are the, kind of these it's spots bad. where, yeah. you know. And, it, and we know for a fact that he's hurting a lot of people at this time. Like, that's just on the record that, yeah. no, like, it, it was almost a punishment to be on the road wrestling the ultimate warrior because you knew i'm gonna get beat up and i'm gonna get hurt every single night so Mm. take it for what you want yeah i don't uh envy anybody who had to put up with that certainly one reason i dislike the ultimate warrior is that uh he's going to injure bobby heenan pretty badly and bobby heenan who did nothing but try to put him over and brought back the weasel suit and all this stuff and uh you know it's not to say it wasn't uh, i i don't know We'll, we'll get to all that when we get to it Absolutely. Jesse Ventura makes the comparison that Hercules and uh, Warrior are a lot alike. They got good bodies, they got big muscles, and they're both stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, why one over the other? I'll ask again. Yeah. All right, yeah. Um, so, we do go backstage uh, for for the next match to be set up. We have Ventura talking to DiBiase and Virgil, and uh, Ventura claims his legal experts agree he does have a legal claim to Hercules, and uh, Ventura might need new legal experts, but uh, he also makes a good point that I I appreciate it. He says, Hercules is being kind of anti-American by not accepting this capitalistic uh, exchange, and well, okay, I mean, you could you could look at it that way, I suppose. 
Um, DiBiase says he's not going to touch Hercules himself. That's for people like Virgil. And here's a moment that I think uh, our prof flagged for us. Virgil gives him a look that uh, says a thousand words without saying anything. And that's a look that we will pay off down the line. But we know now Virgil is not exactly happy with his uh, position, even if he uh, tends to keep it to himself. Yeah, you got that sharp head turn to look from Virgil. You'll see what happens after the match when Virgil doesn't do what DiBiase wants to the full the fullest. And again, I can't I cannot state how much I love that these things are happening almost behind the scenes. It's not like mm-hmm. they're gonna break up by the end of the show. Right. You know, Hercules is still up front, but you're seeing that all is not well. And again, that goes back down to kind of individual characters, authenticity, like who in the world wants to be Virgil? Like the fact is that to be Virgil, to be a black man, to be an African-American, and he's a bodyguard. Right. And Million Dollar Man is talking about having a slave, and now he's sending Virgil to go kind of make this happen. There's no way that you can be happy with this. But yet at the same time, when you look in his hands – Virgil's always got money. Virgil's got a job. We don't know that there's anything negative beyond that between them. He exists with DiBiase, but one look, one turn of the head, and again, we've already made the point, the last man that's going to notice that is the first man that should, and that is Ted DiBiase, and Virgil will pay him back before uh, WWF The Legacy Series is over. Absolutely, but look at that. What is that, 1990, 91 even? And yeah, so far ahead, but they knew eventually this is something they might do so why not uh lay a seed for it it's great i'm super looking forward to that feud i have come to think more and more that virgil i mean he's got his limitations and we'll see them eventually but he is another underrated guy he's a guy who now uh, is just a punchline like a shorthand for somebody mm-hmm. who's not worth a damn and that is totally unfair and i will definitely give a lot of acknowledgement to the good things that virgil can do yeah and they do what you do what you're supposed to do. Like, right. if he could get in there and be the best wrestler in the world, my first question would be, why the fuck is he Teddy Biasi's bodyguard? <laughs> right. You know, so things just make sense. And again, I also like the slow development because how many times have you been in a role, whether it's a relationship or a job, that you think, like, this is not me. I'm not fulfilled. This is not everything that I want. And, like, most of us don't say the next day, well, by God, I'll get out of it because I can just be doing something else. Like, this stuff lingers. This stuff builds up. This stuff doesn't come out easily. Maybe it comes out in three tries. And so that's what you get. You get the beginning of, you know, I've never seen Virgil do anything except hold that money and look straightforward. So, you know, just visually, I've never seen that Virgil has any kind of problem. So, like, again, we have opened up a door we peek behind it, but we're kind of like in a tour group and we got to keep on going. And so you, you both remember, I saw something behind that door, but I also kind of forgot because I had to keep on going. And I love that kind of storytelling. Yeah, it's very good. I agree. We're going to see that door busted wide open eventually, but we got a long ways to go before then. Absolutely. Uh, Gene Oakland and Hercules. Uh, so Hercules is no slave. I am a free man. Uh, again, this is another thing. We talked about the chain he talks about the chain represents uh, the links in the chain represent every victory I've had in the ring. Mm. I like that statement, but at the same time, they should represent so much more because you exist so much longer. So give <laughs> warrior the thing that like, like warrior should be saying, 
whatever I have represents all my victories because he's had a bunch of like impressive victories. He's burst onto the scene, burst through the Intercontinental title. So he should be having something that reflects that bursting visual that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Hercules should have something that represents things that we can't see, like the warriors beyond your imagination. So they, they just got their narratives flipped. Yep, definitely seems that way. Uh, I, I live to wake up one day in a world where their their gimmicks got switched over, so we'll <laughs> we'll see if that ever happens for me. This is another attractive matchup because right now Virgil is not primary, and again, it's not the insult. It's not an insult, but it's a slow build. Slow build for Virgil later. Slow build to Hercules and DiBiase right now. So we don't just say, "Oh, we got a program with DiBiase and." And Hercules, let him wrestle like the next day and then wrestle 17 times afterward. No, we're going to slowly build towards something. And right now it's going to be Hercules taking on the bodyguard, Virgil. Absolutely. And Hercules and DiBiase may have already been wrestling at house shows. So if you want to pay to see that, you can do so, which is why the house show model worked so well at this time. But yeah, on TV, it is all about the slow build. It's all about uh, the gradual conflict that these guys are coming into and, uh, and that works very well as well. It is uh, fun to watch that play out. Um, this is another uh, short match that ends up, uh, I think, being pretty exciting. You know, it's maybe not anything to write home about in terms of being a match. But uh, I was very excited by Hercules going after these two guys, bulldozing Virgil, and uh, even throwing him out onto DiBiase after the match. So some very good stuff here. Yeah, I agree. Good ovation for Hercules. The match is exactly what it's supposed to be. Even before the match, you get a DiBiase and Hercules attack together, and they try a double clothesline. Hercules ducks and clotheslines on both. And there's something in that image because it's two on one, yet the two men linked together are not truly together. So the two bonded together are weaker than the one who's actually becoming himself. Mm, yeah. So there's something powerful there. And from that to the end... Uh, where we're going to see DiBiase is going to berate and shame Virgil mm. just for not being able to get the job. The bodyguard can't beat the professional wrestler, you know, which is should be obvious. So you see, like, those two LinkedIn arms are not LinkedIn arms, and yet the man who is thriving is the man who is, who is being forced to find himself, which is Hercules. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, it's very good stuff. And, yeah, um, DiBiase abusing Virgil after the match is portentous as well. You know, talking about this DiBiase-Virgil feud, um, it kind of reminds me of this feud also, now that I think of it, because uh, this is another case where Hercules is going to be very popular for the duration of this feud, and there's just not really going to be any follow-up, I don't think. Um, which arguably is the same thing which happened with Virgil, who did get very popular for a short period, uh, and there was just really no attempt to capitalize on it. So you have to ask at some point, like, where's the follow-up for certain people? You know, like, obviously you can only focus on so many people, but uh, it's just stuff left on the table, you know? So I don't know. It's uh, It makes you wonder what they might have been able to do. Yeah, I think that's consistent with Vince McMahon, WWF, in that, no matter if you're popular, if we plan to, like, you got popular because we made you popular in the program we wanted you to be popular. Like, we can build you up and we can bring you down, and we never suffer. Like, we don't necessarily have to listen to the fans because we're so capable of making the fans do as we say. And I think think it's a fair critique that we're going to see again and again that it doesn't really matter how popular someone gets. If if they're meant to go down after that segment, after that program, then, you know, that's where they're going. Mm 
Right. Yep. Absolutely. So that's a great, great uh, story build there. Then we got, I think, Gene Erkeland in the back. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, we're moving on to our world title match, uh, as as often comes in the middle of the program so that you don't go to bed. Um, but yeah, Okerlund does with Andre and Heenan. Okerlund mentions the fear of snakes. It looks like for a second Andre is going to crush his little head into mm. a pulp right there. And Heenan kind of wards him off. But uh, Andre said, and this is interesting, he said he's actually still the champion. So we're going back to that. Uh, and like by the lineage, he kind of is. No one has ever beaten him to prove that he's not the champion. And uh, it was really just the administration that took the title away. So... Yeah, uh, I mean, as far as pinning Hogan theoretically at WrestleMania three, and then uh, never losing the title officially when he won it, he, Andre, you know, he could have a claim to be the legitimate champion. He very well could, but this is also when I say Bobby Heenan is the other great magician when it comes to narratives. This is a Hulk Hogan move right now, where it's not even enough to say I'm gonna challenge Randy Savage. No. Andre, not only was he the world champion in, in a very controversial pinfall, but he's always been the world champion. He's still the world champion. And you see like this world that is being built by words, and Bobby Heenan is doing it here again. And it goes to your point earlier that maybe he wants this more than Andre the Giant. Mm, yeah, no, I, I, the more I think about it, the more I believe it, because Andre has been nothing if not consistent, that he doesn't necessarily care about the title. He cared about going against Hogan. He cared about helping the people who helped him. Um, you know, it's been uh, very consistent through his character. Yeah, absolutely. We, he also picks up on the kind of motion narrative we've given of Savage. Bobby Heenan says, what happens when momentum runs into a wall? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is exciting. We have a little more insight into this because we already watched the Savage-Andre match, but I'm glad we get another one, a little bit of a different one. Um, it's similar in some ways, but different in others, and uh, it's interesting to look at. It, it is. I, I like, they'll do some other, yeah, I agree, they do some similar things, but it's also different, you know. I will also say to Bobby Heenan that Randy Savage has all, momentum has already run into a wall. And that wall is not <laughs> uh, Andre the Giant. Yeah, no kidding. This is one of the most astonishing, this Randy Savage interview with Gene Arkland is one of the most astonishing things I've ever watched. Oh, yes. Uh, it's one of the greatest, if you want to say that the Randy Savage Hulk Hogan is one of the greatest stories uh, in the history, don't look at just the big points where they break up or this teased. Randy Savage will do a promo. I think the first that we've covered in the entire Legacy series. There's no macho madness. There's no weird talking. There's no fast talking. He is talking slow, and he he is he is in some ways defeated already. Uh, he says to be a great champion, I've got to be Andre the Giant. Hulk Hogan was a great champion. And he beat Andre the Giant. He's looking at Liz as he says it. He's talking in a way I've never heard him talk. I do. I will say that I said that at Survivor Series, Randy Savage in the ring, the guy who surrounds people, was frozen while everything moved around him. This is the promo version of that. Yeah. Uh, it's a great promo. It's hugely portentous. I definitely had a big, uh, you know, exclamation mark go off over my head for this as well. Uh, he says, if Hogan could do it, then I will do it. And uh, it's just we're getting now that strong element, that growing seed of Savage 
being jealous of Hogan, wanting to catch up to Hogan, want to prove that he's better than Hogan. It's not enough just to be partners. It's not enough to be world champion because he senses the truth that we have already mentioned uh, more than once, that is Hogan in many ways is still standing above him and uh, perhaps even in a very personal way uh, because of the connection with Liz. So Savage, uh, man, he's a guy who holds very fiercely, I think, onto the things that he believes are his, and he is seeing those things slip away, not through force, but through feeling, and I think that is very hard for a guy like Savage to deal with. Yeah, it is. It's remarkable. I We've talked at times, like, how much of Savage is the space element and how much is kind of this macho man, like, you know, fire, like, and I don't think it matters right now. I think the space element is gone and the macho man is gone. And we got a man who is very much just a man with his feet very much just on the ground. And the funny thing is the great Hulk Hogan and all his great rhetoric. Like if you tried to make any of these claims, like Hulk Hogan is like, brother, I'm over here with big boss man fighting for my life. How can I be occupying like space in your mind? Like, <laughs> you know. Like, there are no fingerprints on this body at this moment, and yet this is all orchestrated. It, it's astonishing. Even the end of the segment, Savage makes a joke that Bobby Heenan is a snake, so Andre's probably afraid of him, and it's both this kind of brevity from this weird, awkward moment that just happened, but it's also even an insecurity where he's almost like, get it, Liz? Like, he's trying to, you know, he can't do anything. He can't tell a joke and know that it's funny unless someone laughs at it because everything that he thinks that he has known, he's no longer sure. Mm. Yeah. We have seen that doubt creep in, in a very real way. And uh, I will submit, we've talked about how behind the scenes, Randy Savage uh, was almost more of an earth element from his uh, careful planning and from uh, the way he wanted to kind of control everything and control his life. This is on screen probably the most earthen that we have seen Randy Savage be because uh, he is not just exploding in every direction. He's trying to lay careful plans. He's trying to uh, call his shot in advance, follow these structures, follow things that he thinks will lead him back to where he wants to be. But truly, I think he's already lost a piece of himself, and that is the dimming of Randy Savage that I mentioned before. Yeah, I think... You know, we've kind of said he he kind of made Elizabeth this like stand in for the Hulkamaniacs. Mm. You know, like this is the inspiration that gets it done. And I think he's in a moment right now where I might not just lose my world title. I might lose like my inspiration. I might lose Elizabeth. And the funny thing is, like, I think in his mind it would be like, oh, she's going to leave for Hulk Hogan or Hulk Hogan's going to take her or however you want to look at that. But what's actually going to happen is you're going to lose your bell and you're going to lose Elizabeth. And Hulk Hogan never was even interested in that anyway. But <laughs> Well, like, was he, yeah. though? I don't know. I mean, I, I, that, that's a good question. I don't think that Hogan ever wanted her like, oh, this is, this is going to be someone I'm going to be with, whether you want to say romantically or managerial-wise. Mm. You know, like Hulk Hogan wants to blow up this man's spot. Right. With, without to reduce him to nothingness. And the funny thing is... Like, in real life, real life, Hulk Hogan's going to do this, like, somewhat not only to Savage, but when Ric Flair loses his confidence, it's because of Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff is the puppet of Hulk Hogan. Like, however you want to look at this, Hulk Hogan can reduce a man to no confidence. Mm, yep. And to be in a storyline of that, 
where Hulk Hogan again to think that like the big boss man is, is one of the most aggressive newcomers I've ever seen in my life. And he is putting not a rhetorical or mental or narrative beating on Hulk Hogan. He's putting a physical beating on Hulk Hogan. And even all of that is playing into Hulk Hogan's plans and desires, because I do think that there is nothing that Hulk Hogan wants to be able to say more than look at me over here, handcuffed to the rope. I am, I am in desperate straits. I have no idea what's going on with my partner over there. <laughs> There's no evidence. And Randy Savage is being reduced to nothing. And Hulk Hogan isn't even on screen. It's, it's, watch the segment. Listen to Randy Savage talk in a somber voice. It is it's so unsettling, and the fact that they are smart enough to play this out is what makes this so rewarding. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're on that track now for that conflict uh, as much as they ever were, more than they ever were. So, yeah, no, it's um, it's impossible almost to try to unravel all of the ins and outs of this and uh, the, the realities and the on-screen realities and the kayfab and all of that like it's um it's one of the most complicated feuds in that respect uh, of all time and yet it is extremely compelling and as you said probably one of the best stories that has been told in wrestling and again the mastermind is that hulk hogan i think both needed randy savage to be the world champion so he could go to hollywood like that was almost he's doing hulk hogan a favor and yet the great lesson I think Hulk Hogan wants Randy Savage to learn above all things. It's like, you know, when you would like zap a mouse in an experiment every time that they try to approach something. He wants him to thank you for doing me a favor. But now psychologically, I want you to think that being close to the world title is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Like, he, I'm surprised at this point that they wrestle at WrestleMania five and that Hulk Hogan doesn't just find the world title sitting outside of his front porch in a, in a package. And Randy Savage is just off in the wilderness somewhere. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's within Savage to ever, uh, let go of anything that he has that easily, no matter how insecure he is, but I definitely get what you're saying. So, um, the doubt has crept in in a major way. It's unbelievable, and it's also the calm before the storm because I don't fully remember everything that's going to happen, but I know we got three. We got, like, January, February, March, Saturday night's main events, and, and Savage, there's going to come a time where Savage is not going to be quiet and somber anymore. Hmm. Yeah, so this no, is the, the calm before that. Mm-hmm. Imagine, like, you're about to fucking wrestle Andre the Giant, and, like, there's not a hint of macho madness. There's not a hint of world champion. There's not a hint of that energy. You know, even as he prepares to go out there and wrestle the challenger for the world title at WrestleMania three. So good, good luck with all of this. <laughs> good luck to you, Randy Savage and good luck against Andre, the giant who you have to wrestle right now, a man who, when you wrestle him in Madison square garden, the commentator said, I don't know how, this man can beat the giant. Um, so it's a, a tall order in the face of itself. And then uh, with everything else going on in his mind at all, there's a lot, a lot that Randy Savage has to overcome in this moment. Yeah. And we'll get into it now, but Savage is not going to come up 
but so big in this one, you know. Right. So they're going to start the match like they did. Savage is going to run full speed, but yet end up in the hooks of Andre the Giant without Andre even having to take a step. Uh, so that's a familiar moment. Uh, this is it's, it's a similar where Savage is going to try to bring him down to his knees. There's going to be a big ovation for Savage when he first brings Andre to his knees with some double axe handles and such uh, in this matchup. But it's also one where I don't think I don't think Savage's mind was ever fully on Andre, and I don't think Andre's mind was ever fully on Savage. <laughs> That's true. They both have uh, big things that they have to think about apart from this. Um, but I will say, for all the talk about, uh, you know, haha, baby oil, and maybe they didn't like each other, but uh, I still think they have pretty entertaining matches together. I yeah, and I don't know if it's because Andre is kind of uh, being a little bit rough or just because they're trying to prove something to each other or what, but I don't know. I enjoy the physicality between these two guys. I do too. This is, it's, uh, it's, it amazes me how similar this can be to Savage versus a King, but how it can always be so much better at the same time. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely uh, a different energy to the, well, it's not hard because it's Andre and he's going to be doing a million uh, little things that Akeem uh, is not going to be doing. Yeah. And this one becomes Jake, the snake Roberts just comes down to ringside in the middle of a world title matchup. And at first, it's like I wrote hacksaw, hacksaw Jake Roberts uh, out at ringside has no business here. But then <laughs> something interesting happens because Savage is going to jump out of the ring and kind of be like he wants Jake the Snake to leave. And then yet Jake the Snake is going to whisper into Savage's ear, and Damien the Snake in the bag is going to be left under the ring. So I don't know how much these two are contemplating and working together, but it's a weird moment where. You know, we go from, hey, I'm defending the world title and I am the macho man and you need to get out of here. You don't just get to step on my segment to whisper in the ear. And it looks like from their own that they are working together to keep the snake uh, hidden and, and during this world title match. Mm. Jake's an interesting guy. We talked a lot about him here and there, but uh, I'm always willing to talk more about Jake. Uh, this is a guy who... I feel like in part you got to assume he's water because he's so slippery and fluid and uh, he can move from one thing to the next. But there's a strong earth element, I think, as well in this guy because he's always got plans. He's always got structures that he's going to impose on others. And that's just what you see here. My favorite thing uh, about the Rick Rude feud we talked about is how at some point it seemed like it turned into a game for Jake. And I feel like the same thing is happening here. Like Andre got in his business messed with him now if anything andre doesn't want anything to do it with him anymore but jake is not he's not going to let go of the game like once you start the game with jake roberts he's going to come and he's going to put you in that game no matter what that you want to do i love that because it's frustrating i will have a couple of notes of just anger <laughs> about the way this plays out but i think when you put it like that it's different because it again gets that everybody has a certain, like we talked about so much about DiBiase and the money and power. Like, like who the fuck walks out in a world title match between Andre the Giant and Randy Savage and thinks that they get to disrupt it? But again, in the mind of Jake the Snake, there's no world title match going on. There is Andre the Giant and the game that they are playing together. Yeah. It may, like, again, it helps me understand because, like, Pulling down the pants of Rick Rude to me is like the dumbest thing, especially when it happens like two or three times. Like, how is that really getting revenge? But then it gets inserted. Like, 
And so Jake is known as this great psychological person because of the patterns in what he does. And I think something interesting to think about with someone whose mind is that deep in psychology and patterns and also even with the drug addiction. So this is just sure. like when does Jake Roberts have the patterns and when do the patterns have Jake Roberts? Mm, yeah. No, Jake's mind is a, a maze and sometimes he can navigate it to his benefit and sometimes perhaps not. But here, I don't know, like, as you say, it's totally inappropriate to come out and like mess with a match like this, um, you know, like wait till after. But at the same time, that didn't even really occur to me as I was watching because just knowing the mind of Jake um, and God knows who knows the mind of Jake, but knowing it as well as we do. Yeah, it's all about like this game that he is playing. He's going to force Andre to engage on his terms. It's not going to be when it's convenient for Andre. It's not going to be what's convenient for everybody. He's going to pick his spot for maximum effect, and I think like he accomplishes what he's going out for here. Yeah, I love that. Everybody, too, like Jake Hogan, Bobby Heenan, Ted DiBiase, whatever your drawing power is, whatever your calling card is, it is both what gets it done for you, and it is both what can hurt you. And right now, Jake is thriving. So, you know, to be able to come down and set this plan and to have Randy Savage in on it, uh, I will say real quick, Jesse Ventura says, this is terrible. And, and Vince McMahon's like, why? And then he says, uh, <laughs> because Andre is involved in the biggest match of his career. He's going after the WWF title and he's faced with a distraction, a phobia and a fear. And equal to what, what you're now bringing out and changing my mind here with Jake and the game and his mind they make the statement that Andre may, may, may have saw the snake be put under the ring because he's asking Bobby Heen to look for the snake. But he doesn't tell Bobby Heen to oh, look under the ring. He put it right there. To me, we're about to get – again, the visuals of Andre's face is just top-notch again. But there's something about – I feel like Andre the Giant senses the presence of the snake without having seen it be put anywhere. Absolutely. There's – um, a lot of great mental elements to this beyond just Jake. And yeah, I love the way Andre, who probably never had to sell fear of anything in his whole career, the way he so naturally adapts to this part of the story is awesome because he absolutely convinces you that his mind is in disarray, in chaos when this happens. Even if he saw where Jake put the snake, I don't think in his state mm -hmm. he would have confidence that the snake would still be there. I think in his mind, you know, that panic, you're not thinking clearly, and there's an element of panic here, and there could be a snake here, or maybe he moved it over there when I wasn't looking. There could be more than one snake. Like, when you're truly afraid of something, when you're panicking, it's not logical. You know, you're not making a logical decision about how to get over that fear. You're just in panic mode until you can get some distance from the situation. God, that is wonderful. That is wonderful analysis. And that is what is happening. Watch Andre the Giant respond to this thing and then listen to what Ms. Fan just said. And it's just, if you care about mental parts of storytelling, it's so rewarding. And then Bob, what, what Bobby Heenan is better at than anybody in the business, he doesn't just like poke around all the wrong sides of the ring. Like he makes Howard Finkel, he makes the commentators, the ring announcers, the timekeeper, he makes them all stand up so he can look under their chairs. Like he's deliberately looking in all the wrong places, but showing how frantic this is, how frantic Andre is, how frantic the situation is, how out of control it is, how he's on the wrong path, whether it's comedy or whether it's horror or psychological thriller, there is more power 
in going the wrong way than in going the right way, you know, getting lost and getting found. And so Jake, uh, Andre, Bobby Heenan, this is master class right here. Absolutely so. And I really got to emphasize, too, for Bobby Heenan's part, the look on his face when he first realizes this is happening mm. is so perfect because, like we talked about, I think Heenan wanted the title – 10 times, 100 times more than Andre even did because he has to shut up all these people who says he can't win a title. He needs to show that he should be respected. He needs to take advantage of this shot because he doesn't get that many shots to win the world title, and this could almost be a home run for him. And yet, here's this thing, this thing which he didn't even want to be involved in. This is similar to Rick Rude and Jake Roberts. This thing he would have gladly avoided entirely is now rearing its ugly head, perhaps literally, and completely destroying his chances. And it's a different kind of panic on his part, but he is no less flustered as he, yeah, like barges all around ringside looking for where the snake might be, just desperate to put Andre's mind at ease so he can focus on winning the title again. And it's a great mental element on his part as well. It is. It is. And it's again that when it comes down to it, like we said, yeah, Bobby Keenan is going to have these, these negative points, but there's also, he's not just looking for that snake because he needs Andre to be the world champion. Like there is a there's an element of I care about this man and I've got to get him right again. Absolutely, this is the warmth of uh, Bobby Heenan uh, being in your corner versus the coldness of when he turns away from it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the warmth is real here because yeah, you do feel like Andre he's so desperate for this because the match continues and it's like Savage will come at him and Andre will like swat him away and then he'll be over talking to Heenan and being like, you have to find the snake, you have to find it. And Heenan, yeah, he desperately wants to help out his man for so many reasons, not just to win the title, but just genuinely to help him. So the character elements are off the charts here. It is. You know, there's a world title match that just succumbs to this and you almost can't even be mad, you know, because of just... The genius of this, you know, this match is going to devolve into a DQ. It's going to devolve into kind of a reminder of what happened last time because the snake is going to be found and the snake is going to come out. Absolutely. If I had to pick between a great story and a great match, I'd pick the great story every time, you know, so I will gladly accept all of this stuff in here. You know, it's great to have both, and sometimes you can, but, man, like the stories here, this is why we love being in this era. You know, we can watch better matches from a lot of different places, but there's only very few places that you could try to get better stories than you could find in this era. I agree, 100%. And Savage is going to help Jake kind of terrorize uh, – uh, oh, Andre, man. this gets out of hand. This gets a, a little. Um, there's some inappropriate behaviors here on uh, on a few people's parts. So Heenan, he does find the bag. He tries to leave, but Jake comes back out. Heenan flees into the ring, and we get the bell called for. Even though kind of nothing happened yet, but I guess uh, things just got too crazy. So uh, Savage, this is important. Savage does not really beat the Giant. He definitely does not pin him. He gets another disqualification here. So. Savage not accomplishing the thing that was the most important thing for him to do that he explicitly stated, but we're going to deal with that in the future. For now, we have Savage throwing Heenan out of the ring. He takes a crazy bump. Andre gets a little bloody. He gets trapped. 
in the ropes. He can't get out. We get this great sequence of of Jake slowly coming into the ring, Andre freaking out to a higher and higher and higher level until finally at the last minute, Heenan frees Andre and they get to flee to the back. And this is great on a bunch of different levels. It is. It's key. like This is what we said earlier, too, in that there are so many hot feuds right now in the WWF. You know, they're just getting hotter. But I want to say this because I am a big fan of Randy Savage. But I did not, and I understand there's not good guy versus bad guy. It's just every man for himself. You got to do what you got to do. But there is a reality that Andre the Giant has a phobia, and this is worse than your Like, he almost had a heart attack last time. And so, you know, you do what you got to do. If you want to team up with uh, uh, Jake the Snake to terrorize. Andre the Giant, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do, and I'm still a fan, but my history has changed because <laughs> good luck getting sympathy from me. Like, good luck with your wedding ceremony <laughs> and your match made in heaven because when the snakes come out of the presence, I'm not going to look at that the way I looked at it in the past. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You live by the snake, you die by the snake, buddy. Yeah. You know, if you're willing to terrorize one person, then... You may be terrorized as well by the same uh, standard. What a history! What a story, man! This <laughs> and this is a like imagine never having watched wrestling and trying to talk about the segment we just watched, <laughs> you know, and then even having watched wrestling. But you know, what in the world? There's a world title match, but there's a snake and a phobia and a giant and a and a Heenan. You know, it's just it's a it's a hell of a thing. Uh, Miss Fanbell, I think, puts the the bow on it with you know. If you if it's about story and it's about good story and it's about good characters and all that, you got it to the height that you can get it right now. Yeah, yeah, one of the uh, peaks of all of that, in my opinion. Here's what I just want to say about Jake, and he'll 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 talk a little bit later, so we can talk about it then. But Ultimate Warrior is clearly being positioned in that role. But man, I don't know. I feel like Jake, with the crowd, he's just as popular as Warrior. And for his limitations, man, Jake is probably a better wrestler. He's definitely a better wrestler as well. So uh, I don't know. We, we've had some disappointment with Jake in terms of his matches, but compared to who we're going to get, man, I would definitely take Jake as the number three baby face over Warrior right now by a mile. I think that everyone that listens to this will be on will be on Team Miz, man. But I will, I, if Jake the Snake was winning the world title, title at WrestleMania six, we probably – in the legacy series at WrestleMania five for my part. Oh, so wow, really, man. Yeah, I, I can't. I I don't. I don't. Yeah, no, no, sir. No, all sir. All right, okay, all right. That's surprising I know I'm outnumbered here and then. Good, more power to everybody, but I I don't believe that. You can't really tell me you like the Ultimate Warrior more than Jake Roberts. No, right? no, but I just. Well, I then you're not Jake. quitting for Warrior, so I don't think you really quit for Jake. I think you're doing a little hyperbole right now. I don't know because I, I would have to see it. But then we got another Jake Rick Rude feud. Oh, dear God. Oh, man. I don't, okay, we don't need that. All right. <laughs> I don't hey, know if I would quit. Like, I want yeah. to quit. And maybe, like, there could be so much good stuff, but I I have a gigantic question mark on 1990 right now. Okay. Because I know what's coming after. Like, we're after that, we're going to be in the stuff I've watched. Right. But, man. Uh, I don't know. Number one, Vincent Man was not a fan of babyface title matches. I'm not against it, but right now, in, in this segment, I might be. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I want neither of them to be world champion. How, can I say that? Am I permitted to say yeah, that? Yeah, that? That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I think about it. 
How many? Jake Roberts and Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six. That was. Uh, Vince McMahon says that the behavior was overzealous of the baby faces. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse and Tara says, "Why would I expect a good comment out of you anyway?" <laughs> uh, great pairing for sure. Okay, so you know, in the forums, if you want to book, book Jake Roberts beating Hulk Hogan in the world title reign, and I'll try to see if I can digest it. <laughs> uh, we got some big Jake fans. I know uh, Benjamin Buttons is uh, very big into Jake. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I like Jake a lot, clearly more than you. Um, yes, so. clearly. <laughs> now, Jake, Jake is, I, I no, because Jake's these guys to me are just so obnoxious. Like Jake, Jake thinks he's so much greater than like guys that to me are, are that, he, that he's not even close to. And uh, I just well, can't, I can't be, a, I can't be a part of this. Now he's gonna win the world title at WrestleMania six. <laughs> well, uh, well uh, Ultimate Warrior at least had the decency to be dead, so he can't make any more terrible comments. Um, but yeah, Warrior made much worse comments than Jake anyway. So I'm just saying, if uh, Warrior's worse than Jake in every way, so that's all. That's all I really want to say here. So I did vote. I'm a fan of Warrior not winning the title at WrestleMania six as well. But well, that we agree on for sure. I'm not even saying that Jake should have been. I, I didn't say maybe necessarily put Jake in the the shoes of Ultimate Warrior. I'm just saying, like, if I had to pick um, the three most popular baby faces. I would be tempted to put Jake over Warrior just because he is getting over in these angles, these segments, you know, these things, which actually hold water for more than five yeah. seconds. I agree with that. I think okay. Hercules sometimes is getting bigger ovations than Jay, uh, Warrior. I think <laughs> Warrior, this is not, I don't think this is peak Warrior yet, you know, yeah, as far yet. as, re- yeah. you know. But, you know, it's just Vincent Mann's going to, if you look like the ultimate Warrior and Vincent Mann is making decisions, <laughs> You gotta really foul it up not to, I think, get that world title run. Yeah, I suppose so. Like, <sighs> I will bring this up in '94 again, but this is like Diesel gets the world title. Nobody talks about this. You know, Diesel got the world title because everybody's off steroids and Diesel's body looks the same, and everybody else is smaller than it used to be. That's that's why Vince McMahon chose Diesel. No, no, it's no arithmetic, no genius. He just liked Diesel's body better than everyone else's because it still looked the same. Yep, that's uh, Vince McMahon's style for you. So, well, here's another one. Uh, Mr. Hacksaw Jim Duggan is somehow on the show. Oh, boy, yeah. Here's this another match. one. It's a good way to say. <laughs> yeah. Coming straight out of 1984 or 85, uh, Hacksaw is still wrestling uh, folks that, like, that, what is the point? And the, so it's going to be Zukov versus Hacksaw, and the winner, the winner gets to, like, fly their flag. And my big question is, do you have to wrestle a match? Like, why the fuck can't you just fly your flag? You know, <laughs> there's no point in this. No, still fighting yeah. the Cold War at a very irrelevant time to be doing yeah. so. But hey, earlier they were gonna fight World War II again with Fuji. So who the hell yep. knows what these people are doing? Yeah, I have almost no notes on this match. Yeah. Jim Duggan um, bellows some garbage that I didn't even write down, and then he wins like very easily. So what could you possibly say about this match? Yeah, the only thing to say is that he says, forget one-on-one, remember two-by-four, which defines Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> well, I wish two or four guys would beat up Jim Duggan, so that's there you go. Man, all right. the great thing about that was there was no build to it. Like He didn't get a he – he wasn't in the rapid-fire promo, so, you know, <laughs> that's, the, that's the wid for me out of that. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not going to swear to this because I'd hate to be wrong, but I, Jim Duggan may have already kind of slipped down to where – like, this is going to be his role 
for like a ridiculously long time. But um, yeah, there comes a point when he's not like he's not knocking out Andre the Giant now. He's not stealing the king's crown or anything. Oh crap, he's gonna get that crown back. So I take it all back. <laughs> Uh, I've been trying to forget about that. I don't know. We're going to see too much Jim Duggan. That's all I'll say. It says something to me about Hacksaw that WWF was always secondary to me, but I can tell you all these boss man feuds, for example. Sure. You know, I can tell you, I can tell you the history of the Intercontinental title when it gets the perfect Bret Hart Piper and all of them. I don't know who, who does Hacksaw have promos or, or programs with? Like he's going to be in the company through Yokozuna. Yeah. Like who's, who, what's he? I got a blink. I don't know who he feuds with. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess it's merciful. I feel like he doesn't have a lot of high-profile feuds. And how could he? He only has one piece of shtick to possibly feud yeah. about. So, you know, I don't know. I'm sure we'll see him pop up in all sorts of unpleasant places, though. He's got to have some 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 storylines that I'm not remembering. Oh, he does. I can think of one or two. So we'll suffer through those when we come to them. <laughs> Who are some of his opponents? Well, he's going to beat Haku and be king briefly um, on the way to that. That's how the crown gets to Randy Savage, if you're wondering about that. Um, who else? Uh, he has like that mini feud with Yokozuna when he comes in. He, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. He's got a few things here and there, so we'll just see what pops up. Yeah, in the words of Joker, you get what you deserve, and that Yokozuna is going to give Hacksaw what he's been asking for. Yeah, for God's sakes. Oh, my God. Uh, he's, there's nothing prominent about what he does. There's nothing inspired. There's nothing fresh. He's another. Now, now if you want to have a conversation. Oh, man. So, so far, I think, who would I elevate Warrior over? I think I would think I think Warrior is going to be better than Hacksaw. I think Warrior is going to be better than. But then we said Hacksaw is better than Warrior on one event. So <laughs> Jesus, they're going to be in fierce competition for least favorite person. They're going to run a three man race with <laughs> Brutus Beefcake, and uh, we'll just see who gets to the bottom first. God, it's fascinating that this is happening. This is so strange because uh, we know Hacksaw before. You know, there was a there was a point that Hacksaw was maybe considered to be a world champion or main eventer, you know, and then he had some troubles. And the Warrior, I guess the big question mark to me is, is the Warrior going to feel like, because so far he doesn't even feel like the, because I, I remember in childhood it felt like, okay, this is intercontinental champion Warrior, and this is world champion Warrior, and they're like two levels apart. Like, they were clearly two different distinct times, and, you know, right now he hasn't even reached what I would consider IC champion Warrior. Right. But he is champion. Yeah, because he's wrestling with the belt on. Yeah. So maybe 89 he's going to turn it on. But 89 is his last year. He's winning the world title in 90. So. Well, I need a big 89 out of Warrior. Like, he's got to do something. Cause this, he ain't getting it done yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, video of Hulk Hogan and Bossman. Um. And that's how you handle a criminal, Jesse Ventura says. Uh, and <laughs> this, we got... this was a big segment. I want to skip over this too quickly. And maybe, I don't know, we may go back and see the whole thing at some point because they're going to have a match on one of these shows. But uh, it's a pretty pretty um, hot, inciting incident here that's going to give rise to one of the yes. best uh, drawing house show circuits of Hogan's whole run, um, where uh, Slick 
is on the Brother Love Show with Hogan, and he blasts him with some mace. Bossman handcuffs him to the guardrail and beats him up. Um, it's a pretty hot segment, and uh, I'm glad it we is. got a minute to uh, to highlight it here. No, you, you're right to go back to it. Because, uh, again, there's something – like the fury of Hulk Hogan's rhetoric to me is – like Bossman is the fury of, of like physical – like he does everything in the physical. And I think that's kind of difficult for Hulk Hogan because – there's no like narrative game to win. Bossman is just gonna beat the shit out of you, and he's not gonna have a conversation with you. And I think that right, Hulk Hogan is gonna start getting his feet back, you know, and start pronounce like the Hulkamaniacs and stuff with Slick and Brother Love in a few minutes. But I really think Bossman threw him off his game for a minute. I I think he did, and I think that's part of why we've talked before. Hulk Hogan showing any vulnerability always makes a feud about a hundred times better, yes. and there is some element of that here, and I think it really did help. Uh, the same way he drew so well with Paul Orndorff, it's because it really felt like Bossman had one up on him in this segment, and uh, that really makes you excited if you're a Hulkamaniac to see him actually get that revenge, and it puts that seed of doubt in your mind. Is like, could this scene replay itself um, when they actually wrestle each other? So there's a reason, I think, and it's not just the fact that Big Bossman is great. It's because this is a really good segment to kick off this feud. It is. It's excellent. And also gets at something because, yeah, the, maybe the Hulkamaniacs can, like, trigger the jetpack and the hulking up. <laughs> but, like, when, you, when you're handcuffed and you're getting beat with a nightstick, all those mental and verbal games that he plays about, like, they, 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 didn't, they didn't break the handcuffs. Uh, it didn't cause him not to feel the, the, the nightstick. So he rendered all of that void, did the boss man, and... Those vulnerable segments are the moments where you realize you can actually take Hulk Hogan to a place that he cannot be like saved by all of that. Mm-hmm. And when you get him there, in that five minutes here and there, he is just a man like everyone else. And when he's just a man, all these other people who have wanted to be him or be in his role, like it is open season on him. And Bossman, unlike almost anyone short of like some of the greats like Andre. Bossman put it on Hulk Hogan, and it wasn't even close. Yeah. So this is, yeah, yeah definitely right, Miss Sand, to bring us back. That's, that is the compelling incident that incites all this and makes it worth watching. Absolutely, yeah. And again, I'm glad we've had some talking about inciting incidents, because in a lot of ways, it's the best thing about this era, is they have, and oftentimes it's just like one segment, that is so memorable that it can set up this feud for like months. And all you have to do is remind people that this thing happened and they're going to be right into it. They're going to buy the ticket to the house show or they're going to tune in. They're going to see, you know, the pay-per-view or the big event where it gets blown off. Uh, It's great. You know, you don't have to come out and have like a new promo, a new twist every single week. You just have this one really great segment that provides all the motivation that you need, and then you just let that play out. And it's really great. It's a great way to book, I think. It is. It's also the difference between this Hulk Hogan and the next Hulk Hogan. We've already acknowledged his title reigns are better than what we're going to see later. Yeah. But he is a much better... Like He's not the world champion. He is in a feud with the boss man, and... There's not, like I said this last week, there's not a drop in energy and storytelling uh, going to this. And I think in, in future eras, not only does he have to just kind of be the world champion all the time, but if he was just like, oh, you're going to feud with this newcomer and we're going to put the world title on someone else for a year, 
that he would be like, you know, I'm going to be in Hollywood, brother. Call me when you need me. <laughs> right? No, it's different. Hogan, I think, has gotten over the hump at this point. There's a lot of time where he's still really building his legacy. His legacy's here. It's yeah. cemented already. So it is a little bit different. But he is still very engaged. He's not in that mode, like you say, where he would kind of look for any excuse to pop out. That'll happen, you know, in a year, two, three. I don't know. We'll watch out for it. But he's not there yet. He's very engaged, and uh, it really shows. Yeah, and, and WWF, like right now, like Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan and Hulk Hogan, it fascinates me every time we do this that they have gone their separate ways, and they are both telling stories as compelling as when they were together. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It, it doesn't really let up at this point. Um, it's great stuff. It's great booking in this era, and you really have to appreciate it. Yeah, like Hulk Hogan's about to, for half a segment, be dominated by Brother Love and Slick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they're gonna teach hulk hogan a lesson in control like he has been beat down they think that he's beat down more than he possibly is and so instead of even bringing hogan out first uh brother love's gonna call out slick and man like <laughs> oddly that they're gonna cut and hulk hogan is standing with jane arklin and i'm thinking like if you're about to come out there why are you standing with jane arklin and then <laughs> look at hulk hogan's face when he's standing because i don't even remember everything with savage but this is the hulk hogan i didn't do anything face like i don't know what's happening face like oh my god face i'm about to go do something this is my justification face so when hulk hogan's making that stupid like oh, i don't know what's going on i didn't do this how did this turn out like this he's about to he's about to get some blood on his hands and they're not going it's not going to be his blood uh, hogan was very good at um carefully setting up traps for himself to walk into and then uh, being very hurt to say oh how did that get there you know yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous though because this whole show and even in the middle of like the andre savage match they showed a little hulk hogan thing so all through the show, Hogan has been like, I'm going to go on Brother Love and basically kill this man. I'm going to stuff him <laughs> until he explodes and, you know, he'll never survive. And then Brother Love brings out somebody else. And Hogan, yes, is just waiting with his crony Gene Okerlund to be offended and to be like, <laughs> I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, so it's, it's yeah. very ridiculous. And they're not playing like Bobby Heenan. Like, again, I think Bobby Heenan wants the same role as Hulk Hogan. So they almost were in it together. Yeah. Like, these guys are exposing Hulk Hogan. Like, they are just – they're trying to demonstrate, like, like no, you're just ugly and you're going to be treated like you're ugly and you deserve to get beat down because you're a criminal and you're dirty. And they're even making – like, Hulk Hogan keeps making these love references. Like, I'm going to show him what love is all about, which means I'm going to beat him up and torment him. You know, so they're making Hulk Hogan, like, the kind of stuff that he usually hides, which is love and spirituality and Hulkamania is really domination and power. They're kind of just making him say it explicitly uh, at this moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Um so, yeah, for all of Hogan uh, acting offended, Brother Love brings him out anyway, like five seconds later. So just calm the hell down, yeah. Hulk Hogan, <laughs> for God's sake. I have to say, though, oh, like, man. he got a big ovation, and then it was like a sustained bigger ovation. So Oh, sure, yeah. You know, still hot, and again, new people. Like, this is freaking Brother Love, and yet, like, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan's got Boss Man, and, you know, Slick has been there, so I don't put him in that category, but Boss Man is new, and Brother Love is kind of new, and Hulk Hogan's not world champion, and yet, man, there's power in, in the program. Uh, well, this is a guy who, with Andre, drew the uh, biggest wrestling audience uh, on television that ever probably will exist just earlier this year, so... 
the earliest Hogan may start to cool off, possibly is 1989. So we are still in kind of like the peak of Hulkamania here. So I'm not really surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, we will see. As again, I think Tito claims that it's, uh, who writes for uh, lordsofpain.net that maybe it's summer of 89 when they bring Zeus in. I don't know if that's true, not true, but it has to at least be 89 because it's not 1988. Definitely not. He is as hot as he is going to be. Uh, so we get a lot of brother love in this segment. I'll say again, um, I, I kind of like the gimmick, but a little goes a long way, and uh, it does great on me after a little while. So I don't want to say I'm sympathetic to Hogan, but I might have grabbed the microphone too at some point. <laughs> yeah. This is when I knew this was still more Saturday Night's Main Event. Before they started, it, it, it dawned on me that they're going to keep taking the money. So what happens is like Slick and Brother Love is going to start asking Hulk Hogan, how did it feel when this happened? And because Hulk Hogan needs to learn his lesson, they're going to take the mic and they're going to tell him how it felt, which, again, is a little bit of coming out of the closet of, you know, they're kind of treating Hulk Hogan like Hulk Hogan has, like, secretly been treating the entire world for four or five years. (laughs) Yeah, it's very true. You know, they give him a little – he's very good at not letting other people have their story, like their story doesn't belong to them. So now it's a little bit of the table's turn, but they're going to find out – (laughs) <laughs> easier said than done. Um, here, I have a small complaint about this. It's a pretty okay. good segment overall, but it they have Slick right there, and Slick is great, and yet 90% of this is brother love talking, and I'm just like, shut the fuck up, Bruce Pritchard, and let Slick talk, because <laughs> he's like a lot better than you are at it. Like I wanted to hear more from Slick. That's my small complaint in here. I think that's a fair complaint, and I don't know... Like I know the beginning this happened on the Brother Love show, so I don't know what the connection. Like, is Brother Love part of this? Is it just because he enabled it? Is there more, you know, to that narrative? I I'm not sure, but I definitely take that point. I feel like Brother Love never got well defined in that respect. Like, it's never clear if he was really in on anything or if he was just like sort of generally obnoxious. Brother Love is going to get a lot of airtime over the run of his character, more than I think maybe he deserved. So. I don't dislike Brother Love, but I think he got maybe more attention than the character needed, and I just don't know. Maybe Vince really liked this character, or I know Bruce had, like, some jobs backstage. I don't really know his whole story like some do, but uh, I don't know. A a little goes a long way. I'll just say that again. He would have lasted, like, the only reason he goes away is um, Undertaker needs a manager on the road, and I think Vince eventually tells him he has to choose between, like, his two roles, and he chooses to, you know, be backstage. Well, thank God. Imagine a world where we don't have Paul Bear and we just have yeah. Brother Love with Undertaker this whole time. So that, that never even made sense, um, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. I will say two things. People can learn because a lot of people hated Hogan. Like, I wanted to be Hulk Hogan. Well, you know, watch the man and learn because here's a couple of things. Number one, I think he went after Brother Love instead of Slick because, like, he can he can deal with Slick and Bossman any day. Like he's not opposed to being in a hot program. Right. I think that Brother Love looks a little bit too much like what Hulk Hogan's selling, and that Hulk Hogan's got to quickly get him out of frame. <laughs> you know, so I think that's part of the reason he did it. And it's also this though, and this is what a lot of people never learn. Like Hulk Hogan, like you said, he'll take someone else's story and define it for them, and then they'll try to get into a narrative battle with him. You know, but when when you take Hulk Hogan's story and you try to define it. He doesn't come back with a narrative. He beats the shit out of you. Like, we're done with the narrative game when, like, it's flipped on him. So he doesn't make the mistakes that his opponents make uh, with him. (laughs) 
I think he does both because he does he does a lot of his own narrative setting in this segment, but he then does. he also beats the shit out of them. So yeah, and it ends with the <laughs> it might just be my childhood and watching this a hundred times, but we'll get to it. The, the image of brother love like getting clotheslined over the top rope but still hanging by the handcuff is a, is a nice one. I was gonna say this must be the segment that you watch so many times, so I hope this is very nostalgic for you. It is. It is. Um, this was one of the things I remember from the show. Rockers and Brainbusters, which is still to come, is also on that tape. Uh, but this is I love the back and forth, I think partly because of uh, the childhood. But, you know, it's just a it's so antagonistic. And usually Hulk Hogan, again, is the antagonizer. And he lets it happen two or three times. And it's astonishing, though, because it is a ring announcer, an announcer and a manager. And they get three or four of these out of Hulk Hogan where he's on the, on the other end of it. But then he he kind of he kind of gets into the reversal and he's gonna antagonize in the ways that I'm like oh this is just for the Hulkamaniacs and I'm not one. Uh, but he, he says the kind of love you give is equal to the kind of love you receive, which is like kind of kind of kind of deep for an offhanded random comment yeah, to brother sure. love. Especially because it just means uh, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. Yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, I think the thing I like uh, there's a theme, there's a setup and a payoff. So like everything is kind of on point uh it's also it's the weird things it's again that i will take a lesser segment that prolongs things over a better segment that hurries them up so Mm -hmm. you know the fact that we get no boss man to me is kind of nice because now we have video footage that we've already seen the boss man beating down hulk hogan but we got this new video footage where hulk hogan has his way with brother love and slick and so there's been revenge, but yet we haven't even got Bossman and Hulk Hogan yet. Yeah, it's another thing they're good at is sort of you, you get revenge on each person involved, you know, individually, um, and you can draw it out even more like that. So it is good stuff. Um, before uh, attacking these guys, Hogan does a lot of this. Uh, he's really high on this, like, judge and jury shtick, yes. and he has, like, lots of comments about that, and he kind of goes on and on about it. Um he makes some uh, kind of unfortunate comments towards Slick that uh, probably don't stand up well today. I'm going to skate over that for now, but you can watch them if you like, and uh, they're not ideal. I will say for Slick's part, even though he didn't get to even say a lot, the moment, my favorite moment of this whole promo maybe, is when Hogan is, like, escalating these threats, and Slick is trying to stand his ground, but he's also, like, getting more freaked out and, like, back into the corner, and you can see it in his eyes, and it's, like, yes. a really subtle piece that he executes beautifully. So Slick Slick still kind of steals this segment a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, it's very similar to Bobby Heenan that mm. when they, they come off big, and you can kind of see in their eyes, in their face, sometimes their neck and even their bodies, when they're starting to see that it's not going to come off like they thought it was going to come off. Yeah, yeah. And it's powerful because, again, it's not necessarily good guy and bad guy. It's narrative. So, like, for me... Even knowing Hulk Hogan is going to go over, I can still feel for Slick because I see, like, I, you see the rise and fall of Slick without him saying a word, and that's impressive. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, yeah, uh, even though the heels are only verbally abusive, Hogan indeed uh, just decides to be physically violent. He beats them up, and uh, Ventura points it out, and uh, Vince doesn't care about it, of course. Yeah. So, there you go. Oh, yeah, Hogan leaves them. Slick is disposed of. Uh, Brother Love is hanging by his handcuffs on the outside. Hulk Hogan must pose. <laughs> Hogan must pose, and we get Hogan <laughs> posing. Vince McMahon's a happy man. The Hulkamaniacs are happy. Hogan said that the, the jury is the uh, 
Hulkamaniacs, and they are a biased jury, so you get what you get. <laughs> he can't really decide if he's about, like, law and order or about, like, this yes. kangaroo court that is going to um, condemn them no matter what. So it's a little all over the place. I think he knows which one he is about, but I think it takes the right <laughs> people to get him, like, stumbling on his uh, approaches. Oh, for because sure. Because the usual way is that he's very fair and and it's all love, but then someone does something so bad that you got to be different. <laughs> like the rule book has been thrown out, but here, like it is, I think it's more scrambled eggs than it has been before, and that's that's to the credit of Brother Love Slick and Bossman because they have provoked and mocked and beat Hulk Hogan to this state, <laughs> and it's going to end up in a beautiful place because it's going to end up in that big blue steel cage, which I love, and we have not gotten much of so far. Yeah, no, I'm excited for that as well. That is coming up. Soon, I believe, in January, so we will wait and see. Then after that, Justin Chair has been teasing that he has, like, a, a bombshell. He's going to be with Jimmy Hart and the Rougeaus, and they are going to announce that they are now Americans. They're living in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and it's time to celebrate uh, that great, the monumental moment for the Rougeaus. <laughs> I still don't know how to articulate this gimmick exactly. Like, are they being sarcastically american or are they just just because they come off phony or did they just like are they not american enough like they didn't integrate enough like how dare they kind of still be what they were before but also americans i don't even know how to interpret this gimmick entirely but i kind of enjoy it so i'll, I'll give it some credit i feel like this next generation of talents from like boss man and slick and well, not Slick, but Bossman and Brother Love with Slick behind it, and then this. They're starting to pick up on what the tropes are, and they're starting to play with those tropes a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're going to subvert a little bit. Yeah, because like yeah, like, why aren't you cheering them? Like They became American, like, and they're waving like little American flags. So I, but I do think it's antagonistic at the same time, because I wouldn't know it's times, but when, anytime Jacques talks, it feels like kind of like, oh, here, here's spitting in your eye at the same time. <laughs> I would say a guy that I want to praise more as we go on is Jacques Rougeau because uh, he's going to be very fun as the Mountie. He's very fun here, I think. I noticed him in the match uh, doing a lot of – a little bit similar to what we talked about with Sherry. Like he will feed these great heel spots where he looks dopey, but it's really just to make the match better overall. So I think uh, he's better maybe than his legacy uh, suggests because it's sort of just like, oh, he's the Mountie. And it was sort of a joke, but he's actually very good, I think. I can see that because even this, they don't have a short one of the short end of the show matches with the yep. stallions. The fans are hot for the stallions. The matches, like the, the match has like like energy. I, I also love that. So like when you duck and then Jacques does a, like an over the back, back to back flip over you, and then a standing drop kick on the other side of it, and it's <laughs> it's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, but I also love like at one point. He leaps up in the corner, and then he's going to do, like, a backwards crossbody. Like, we've seen this spot before. He does it. He has to, like, point at his head first. He's like, oh, I'm so smart. Yes. And then he does it. He just lands on his face. So it's stuff like that. I love it. Um, this era, had the heels, like, that's a Arn Anderson, Steve Austin, Jacques. Like, yep. it's such a powerful thing, especially when you think about an era of the Hacksaw Jim Duggins. Like, it is a heel move to point, like, to your head saying, like, I use my brains as a heel move. <laughs> They, uh, one of the only, <laughs> in the Jim Duggan match, I didn't even want to talk about it much, but I will highlight this. Vincent Ventura have a spirited conversation where Ventura is like, 
trying to whittle Vince down to see how stupid he'll admit Jim Duggan <laughs> is. So that, that was fun. <laughs> it is. I think eventually Vince McMahon says uh, he'll have to do research to know if Hacksaw graduated <laughs> high school or not. Yep, yep. You, you can't even uh, say that for sure. So, But it's like better to be dumb like if you're dumb in the right way yes. like the bushwhackers will come soon so Ugh. like yeah i don't know maybe they'll be different than i remember but they if not they're gonna be. threaten all the folks who have that drone right now <laughs> you uh you remember them correctly from my last viewing so. they fucking lick people in the crowd don't they yeah they do can you imagine like <laughs> very 2020 to maybe have this analysis but my god <laughs> fucking licking people in the front row yeah, it wouldn't go over well today. Um, Even as a kid, though, I guess it's a different kind of people, but I was repulsed by that. Like You would make, you would ensure I would never be in a front row in a WWF show. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I don't I don't see the appeal. Like, please stay out of my personal space like that. And I'm a guy, like, I've sat in front rows. I've dodged diving wrestlers. So it's not like I oppose wrestlers interacting with me in the front row. But to be licked by a strange man. Yeah. It's just not for me or for anyone in the world. Okay, that's all right. It's wild. Like, and I, it's ridiculous. I don't want to die too that far down. Like, are, are, is it adults? Is it children? Like, it's <laughs> well, a weird sure like when we'll you make that decision. Lips, so, yeah, I don't know. It's a hell of an, a, a gimmick. I don't know if you, you talk to people beforehand and something. There are people that the people that want to be licked end up being the ones licked. I don't know how it works, but <laughs> my God, this is a different. You know, like it's coming. This is what scares me. Some of this stuff, like Warrior being world champion, Bushwhackers, there are some things that, like, this has been, like, almost 100% I'm all in. Like, let me live in this world. There, there's another color, another aspect, another texture that is trying to, like, poke its head up into this world that is not as appealing to me. Well, I'm sorry. We're probably going to see more of that. But there's always going to be some good stuff to rely on. So we'll we'll take it as it comes. We've survived worse, I promise. Yeah. I wonder what is the timeline between the bushwhackers and the nasty boys coming on the scene oh god don't remind me <laughs> man i think the nasty boys are gonna be almost thin at one point i could be wrong about that but well wouldn't go that far but thinner so <laughs> yeah thinner there we go right. they kind of remind me of like some guys on on turtles cartoon back then oh sure huge 90s vibe with that early 90s with the colors and yeah they could be bebop and rock steady or yeah that, yes want. yeah there you go <laughs> Oh, man. It's so weird how some things to me that were in WWF in this era are so distinctly WWF. Like, the Nasty Boys will be the Nasty Boys in not only WCW, but again later in WWE, I think. But, like, they are the Nasty Boys of this era only during this era. Like, the Legion of Doom is the Legion of Doom of this era. Like, everything's so distinct in this era for good, bad, and ugly, but... What happens in kind of 90, 91, like, Carrie Von Erich is the Texas Tornado, Ricky Stingo is the Dragon, you know. I said before, we'll definitely hit a time when uh, it's illegal to have a name that is actually a name. Like, you'll have to be El Matador or Mr. Perfect. Yeah. or uh, It's happening already, Big Boss Man, uh, Macho King. Randy Savage's name will be all but erased at one point. He'll just be Macho King. Um so, yeah, no, we're definitely coming into that time period. It was very different than where we were at a few years ago. I wonder which one is worse, like the worst of that where everybody has to be a gimmick or like the worst of times where it's like everybody's a Randy Orton or a John Cena, you know, <laughs> and they're just a name. 
Uh, it's two extremes that neither one, I think, is ideal. Um, yes. I don't know. I, you'd have to give me more information to pick one or the other. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So we end this show, though, with three promos at the end. So really, like, really, it's a, this is a story-based show, I guess. It is, yeah, and we appreciate it for that. Uh, first, we have Andre, and he cuts a really good promo. He tells Jake, you cost me a lot. He dares him to come into the ring and actually fight him like a man. He insists again that he's not afraid very vehemently with, uh, with I think, uh, it's Okerlund. And uh, as he tells Jake, you can ask some other men how I put them down. Andre is very frightening. He's not uh, showing fear in this promo. He is uh, showing all of his teeth in that terrifying smile. Yeah. This is, I said, this is the Yoko can speak English uh, moment for Andre the Giant because he does the whole promo. Bobby Heenan does not do this promo. Andre talks more than I've ever heard him, I've ever heard him talk. It's yeah. Jesse Ventura back there, and he, like, again, he puts a, he kind of puts a hurting because Jesse Ventura keeps saying the word snake, whereas Andre says that thing in the ring. Um, he says Jake will pay for it too, and he says it, and it's, it's a very punctual way to pronounce Jake will pay for it, and it costs me a lot. So Andre the Giant, again, this is Jake Jake and uh, Andre are trying to one-up each other, and I don't know where they're going to go eventually if they're not careful. Oh, man. This is why, and I totally get why you're kind of anti-Jake, because some of the matches we've seen him in have been just complete duds, and that's fair. But Jake, the stories he gets involved in are so great, and we're, we're probably not even halfway through this one with Andre, and it's just going to be like angle after angle after angle that is like the best thing going on at that time. So I really do have some good appreciation for Jake just as far as I don't think there's anyone who is so consistently involved in great angles as Jake is. I think some of my best early childhood memories. So now I started watching in 91, I think is the Jake Roberts, ultimate warrior undertaker, Randy Savage, all of that stuff, you know, like I imagine being a child who has never watched wrestling and then and the first thing you're seeing is like Jake Roberts putting ultimate warrior in like caskets and shutting the lid so that he can kind of you know it's like what in the hell is going on (laughs) yeah so I okay I think I like Jake better I think I also like Jake better as a heel than a face though I think it's part of my like, this behavior a lot of times is not what I consider it to be. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I think people think of Jake as a heel, but he was a heel at the start for a little bit. He had the Ricky Steamboat feud, but he turned pretty quick. And at the end, he's going to turn heel, like, with less than a year left in his WF career. Yeah. So he is almost entirely a babyface. And it's because even though, like, he is kind of an evil dude, people just friggin' like him that much. Like, this is the guy who got cheered over Hogan at one point, which is still just mind-blowing to even think about at the time that it happened. So, just, like, through sheer popularity, this guy is a babyface in name, if not in action. Yeah, and there's a lot of people, though, that get cheered a lot that are not... (laughs) I don't know. I I like him better now that I'm thinking about his whole stretch and his heel run. Because, the the, too, the trust-me thing... Oh, so good. Like... He he puts that in front of your face the whole time, like when when you can just like hang the turn, uh, the words that cause the turn in plain sight, mm. and still elicit something when you do it. 
Like that is masterful storytelling. That's a masterful psychology. So I have to say he will live up at times to the whatever the highest praise that he ever gets is, and I have I have no problem saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of, we do have Oakland following up with Jake. Jake uh, talks a lot in this promo about uh, feeling instead of thinking, about sensing fear. And when uh, animals, predators, when they sense fear, they can just come in the door and they can do anything they want. He says he has knocked on Andre's door, but he won't stop there. He's not going to stop until they have consumed a giant. And, man, this is a friggin' great promo, and it's all about felt sense, and it's about that fear and that panic we were talking about. And it gets me excited, man, just to even talk about this promo. This is very much to a babyface promo because what the underlying message of the promo is, it's kind of Andre's fault because, you know, <laughs> by having the fear and the phobia, it's provoking the snake, you know, because the snake can't help it. And so it may, if he had a little less phobia, you know, there would be a little less like attack. So he also says it's a little problem the giant has. So a nice little play on words between the little problem and the big man. Absolutely. Yeah. It, neither man is going to relent. There, there's no break in this feud, and I, I honestly don't remember when how it pays off. So it's interesting where it's going, at least. Unfortunately, looking at who's involved, I think we all know that the uh, match itself is going to be the weakest part of all of it, which is definitely the biggest weakness of Jake Roberts. But uh, even so, like I can think of at least one more great moment in this feud, and we've already had two like killer oh, great segments. So there's at least one more. It's an awesome feud. I'm really excited to see more of it. Yeah, I didn't really even remember this, so it's kind of it's a big deal. It's been a great feud, and apparently it continues to be so. Um, Hulk Hogan ends the show letting us know there was a biased jury, and that he had his way uh, with he them. He is on this shtick like crazy. <laughs> yeah, once he locks on to something. But the last thing he says is... Um, you, you know, uh, pretty much that Bossman's next, which kind of gets at the fact that we waste, like, there's zero Bossman appearance in order to keep this thing going and also even give it more to go. So there's something to be learned about storytelling and the less is more thing. Like, the Bossman is out of sight and out of mind, but what Hulk Hogan kind of did was he cleared whatever was between them. So it is now Hogan and it's Bossman and there's nothing left between them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Hulk Hogan also says he was turned on by being the executioner, so I'll let you all <laughs> decide what he meant by that. Oh, boy. Oh, Hulk Hogan. At least he's honest for once. So. <laughs> Man. We all know that this is just what he gets off on. He gets off on power as much as DiBiase. He just, uh, he just has a better narrative about it. Yeah, and it's also... It's almost more like the Jake Roberts. So, like, Billion Dollar Man's building a big mental narrative. Like, not to, to, to be too gross, but I think Hulk Hogan just physically gets off on it. Like, you know, you, if you want to see him alive and alert and awake, you know, let him be rendering this stuff. Like, it, it, the he's Pete Hulk Hogan at that point. Right, yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's everything we're going to cover on this show. Anything else you want to go over before we call it a day here? No, that's just the, I think the end of four years to the end of 88, you know, next up 1989. Yep. Next up will be uh, January of 1989. Look ahead to that card very briefly here. If I can find it quickly, I think I can. Where is it here? Here it is. Um, Yeah. So it's going to be uh, November or uh, January 7th. 1989, 
We're going to see uh, Hulk Hogan now taking on Akeem, so we'll see if that is a better pairing as we thought it might be. We're going to see Tito Santana taking on the Red Rooster in a match. I remember this, where Bobby Heenan uh, is mic'd up all through the match, so we get to hear Heenan's managerial style front and center. We have Coco Beware versus Mr. Perfect on this Man. card, which is going to be a great one. Yeah, I'm excited, but uh, still no Hogan versus Boss Man, so I'm trying to figure out where that comes in because I know it's going to come on one of these shows, and they're really drawing it out. Yeah, we got January or February, end of March, uh, Saturday night's main event. Ooh, yeah, you're right, and Royal Rumble 2 in there. Yes. I miss Tito, and I miss the model, so I'm glad to see Tito's back. Yeah, Tito's back. Not not Martel yet, but he'll be back at some point. So uh, I'm excited to see him again for sure. That is, it's been so good that you can lose people than any other era. It's like I I still have a grudge because of what we've lost, and yet <laughs> this machine just keeps on moving. Absolutely, yeah, and it definitely helps. Again, we've talked about the shorter shows. You can kind of highlight certain people in certain ways, and you don't yes. have to necessarily draw it all out. And uh, yeah. It gives you a better sense of uh, you're not necessarily missing people. You're just kind of waiting for them to be around again. I have zero answer to this question, so it's fine if you don't as well. But when we close out 1989, how similar or different do you think we're going to feel than closing out 87 and 88? I don't think it'll be too different yet. I don't remember things really changing for my perception until more later 1990. Uh, maybe into early 91, I think there's sort of a down period with, uh, you know, Slaughter and uh, Warrior and kind of all this stuff running around. But uh, I don't know. I remember 89 fondly. I think we're still going to be feeling uh, good at that time, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what we come up with. I think my biggest uh, kind of question mark blank periods uh, are before, let's say, 98, 99, 2000, around there is, is 89 and, and 90, so... We're coming into a place where I can kind of see shapes and shadows, but I can't really see anything too clear. Yep. We're a little ways away still from uh, Match Made in Heaven, Match Made in Hell. Yes. Which I know is a touchstone for you, so. <laughs> That'll be, I think, I think that's when we started watching. Is that Summer 91 or around that? Yep, that's right. SummerSlam yeah. 91, so that's that's right on time. Yeah, we started watching either spring. I think we watched WCW first, and then I think my older brother had really been watching WWF because eventually he's like, "Oh, there's another show, and it's better than this one," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I was gonna say WCW. Flair and uh, Fujinami bleeding. That's uh, early '91, and I know that's another one. Uh, yes, in your memory banks. So right around that yeah. time, we're really gonna get into it. We saw Flair and Bobby in the Clash of Champions. I know we were watching then. I think oh. that's still before summer. But, I can't believe we didn't cover that when we uh, yeah. did that. We were, we were foolish to not look at those early Clash of the Champions. I agree. We, we would know better if we ever did it again. Yeah, absolutely. So 88 is, is gone, folks. Uh, you know, tell us, you know, uh, tell us what you think. Maybe not just 88, but like, what are, what are we, what are you anticipating 89? Are you as excited about 89? Are there things, are there programs, are there people we need to be on? alert for because right now we are in uncharted territory so we will be we'll be off for a week but we're coming back in two weeks yes that's right don't forget we will not have an episode next week we will be back though with another saturday night's main event as well as some bonus content that i will definitely put together because it is always fun to go over that stuff 
All right, we're almost at our three hours as we Man. always push so far out. I never, I figure eventually we'll have a short episode, but maybe not. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We're uh, on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, uh, com. Type that whole URL so you can get there safely or navigate through wrestlingheadlines.com. Very easy to do so. Come join the conversation. Last and definitely not least, all the great programs on LOP Radio, our podcast channel. Do check those out as well. A lot of great content for you. That is all we've got. We will be back next time in two weeks. So until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears, I knew that these were just its cautionary features. Keep telling myself nothing to fear. It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered